Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. I don't think it's Hi, bud. You know, we were recording this whole time. Yeah, for four minutes and six seconds. I think I even got some of your camera. Oh, did you? Yeah, man. So at least the, the, the world out there knows I know my numbers. I might have to not edit that out just to, you know. <laughs> I don't know. So tell us about yourself, buddy. <clears throat> Without you throwing up. This is the one thing I don't like to do. That's fine. That means you got to do it. Uh, talking about myself uh, from what, like, uh, like the career perspective? Yeah. Sure. Man, I've, this is year, what, 17 or 18 for me in EMS in some form or fashion. I got it honestly. Uh, I started as an explorer when I was 14 years old. For and, what? Uh, volunteer Fire Department. Oh, cool. In, in Talco, Texas. Is that like a cadet? Uh, yeah, okay. basically. So my, my dad took, uh, took that program on and... When I became old enough, I got added to it, and when my brother got old enough, he got he got into it, and we extra set of hands on scene if you needed somebody to help hold C spine or. Oh, so they were allowed to ride. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. we were able to respond. Um, How old were you? Fourteen. Damn. Fourteen. Yeah. This was in Texas. This was in Texas. I guess they do things differently in Texas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little right. bit. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. Uh, and then uh, you know I hung out doing that, uh, you know fighting. Riding out on range fires, grass fires, that kind of stuff. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. Why did you get into medicine then? I got it honestly with my dad. He's a paramedic. Uh, okay. Gosh, he's still a paramedic, so we're probably close 30-something, 30-plus years. And he was, um, I, I don't ever remember him doing anything else. Okay. Uh, from my younger younger days, a young young spud yeah there in california mm-hmm. he was a he was an emt and paramedic went to paramedic school there and we moved to texas gosh early or late 89 or 1990 so you're out of california no born and raised texas okay. moved to california for a little oh, bit that's where, okay, okay, okay. that's where dad was from and uh i think we spent four years there my brother though so everybody listening ryan is actually born in california oh so don't don't let him fool you and think he's texan does he own any guns? Uh, yes. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yes. He's he's a naturalized Texan. Okay, that's fair. Naturalized Texan. Fair. Okay. So your dad still works as a paramedic? Yeah, he's not on a box anymore. He does uh, HBO stuff, uh, wound care, hyperbarics. Whoa. Yeah. What does that yeah. mean? At like a hospital? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so the wound care centers, folks that have those, those really nasty D-cube ulcers that mm-hmm. – you know, the BLS service goes out, picks them up at home, and brings them in for. And he slides them in the tube, takes them down, dives them, you know, a, you know, a, a hyperbaric chamber yeah. is what he puts them in. And uh, allows those wounds to, to get a, a pretty good oxygen load, oxygen feed, and, you know, putting some lives back together still. And he's doing that as a paramedic. Mm-hmm. That's pretty yeah. cool. So paramedics that are looking for a, a non-EMS job, they need to, you need to look into that. Now, there's some specialty certifications that go along with it, mm-hmm. but the most baseline is normally being a paramedic or a nurse. Because or... I've been to the one here at University of Maryland, and I, I mean, it's all nurses. Yeah. 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 It depends. Like the smaller, yeah. the smaller hospitals, I, I want to say 
There is an opening. I'm trying to remember the the, the system now, but I just saw the posting come up just a couple of days ago, huh. and they they like to they like paramedics. Of course, you can get a paramedic cheaper than a nurse to do. Well, the they same do on the thing. job training. Like yeah, for the certifications, or do you got to go to school first? It's kind of like um, in some places, it's like a flight or critical care, <clears throat> flight or critical care thing where yeah. they, you know, they give you three, four months or something like that to obtain the certification. I think that's what Dad did. Okay, was um, uh, was there for a few months, tested, took the test, and it's a lot of the same stuff. It's gas laws and, and mm-hmm. this and that, and because you got to understand what you're doing when you're taking somebody below. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So what did you do after uh, Explorers? Um, I did the volunteer firefighter thing and and throughout high school, and I went to EMT school um, during my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you get out, you think, yeah, man, it's time to go get on an ambulance and do the thing. And what you find out is the job market for 18-year-old non-experienced EMTs uh, is actually pretty pretty bare at that okay. time it was yeah. and a lot of it had to do with insurance stuff you know they need you to be 23 or 22 mm. i forget now and so i did the math and um so i'm 19 years old and i do the math and i go well to be 23 is four years away i know what i can do for four years because you know the wars are on yeah so the wars in iraq and afghanistan were on uh this is 2004 so i joined the army i was like you know i might as well just start building that experience base yeah now and so I went in as a as a it was a ninety one whiskey at that time as a medic or healthcare specialist is what they're called and they use them they use them in all care settings whether that's a, a combat hospital which was my first duty station or on the line with with infantry units or um, in the hospitals as ER techs or floor techs or or patient care techs and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, that's what you can do as a ninety one whiskey so that was cool I did that for actually eight years okay. Um, let's see, when did I get out? 2012. 2012, I got out and I was just going to stay on the path. Um, I really got the bug to be a flight medic. Um, I think that goes back to when I was in high school. I think we helped a, a flight crew unload an isolate and the pilot went, hey, do you guys want to take a ride? I was mm-hmm. like, uh, let me think. I think I have to ask. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. I definitely want to take a ride. Yeah. And as soon as he pulled pitch, I went, I'm coming back. <laughs> this is where I'm going to be. So pretty much every decision from 19 until... Oh gosh, it was 2018. Um, that was it was pretty much the goal to be a flight medic. After that, um, so you when you got out of the army, the army, right? Mm-hmm. You then went to paramedic school. Yep. Okay. And yep. then after that, I guess you probably had to work somewhere for a while to get experience, right? Yeah. So I went to let's see. And when I finished paramedic school, I was working for a, for a hospital-based organization there in Central Texas. Just nine one one, the busy nine one one service. It was we were fortunate. I'd say I was fortunate, uh, although we hated doing it. We but it was a nine one one transfer, so we got the BLS mm. transfers, the yeah, ALS transfers, yeah, yeah. and uh, we got into the SCT world with some vent stuff and a pump here and there. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> Scared yeah. to death every time I got a vent call. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to believe now because that's those are kind of my jam. Yeah, and um, I did that for eight years. Um, I actually promoted up. I was a clinical manager there for, for a few years. And then um, my boss was, uh, you know, took a shot, took a chance on me and and uh, named me the, his successor as the director there. Um, I think I had been there for five years, named me as a director. I sat there for a year, um, had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a tough lift, a lot of learning uh, experiences and, and things like that on 
being a paramedic, being a manager, being the boss. And then um, I got recruited for an air medical company to um, be a base manager there in the central Texas region. And that was your dream. That was it. I'm like, wait, I get to put this management leadership experience that I've been building since the military Mm -hmm. together with my medical experience that I've been building since the military, put it together with... I mean, I get the dream job and everything all at once. Yeah. And, and sign me up. Pilot will fly you around all day. Yeah. Yeah. I've signed me up. Yeah. That was, and again, a lot of learning experiences, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, bumps in the road, bumps on the head, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I moved up here. We, uh, an opportunity came up to uh, get my family up where uh, my wife was from. So we came up here and flew around in the Baltimore area. In Maryland. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For a couple of, another couple of years. Yeah. Just about catches us up, right? So it's funny you said something about how somebody took a chance on you. It's funny how there's always the folks that, uh, I mean, especially in my life, how you just take, you get, they just, you know, take a chance. And, uh, yeah. They could have, I could have failed. I would have made them look bad. And those people are rare because there's a lot of people that will protect their own hide before. Right. They don't uh, know. Yeah. That, like they don't want to back you. They don't want to put their their name behind you unless they're unless mm-hmm. you're a sure thing. And and um, man, I'll I'll never forget. Uh, and I'll always appreciate that uh, that that Terry did that and yeah. and gave me that shot. And I was like, I he had actually talked to me. He had told me this. He sat me down one day and said, you know what, man, you're probably going to get asked mm-hmm. to to join to join a flight team. He said, I know you. I know that's what you want to do, and that's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be fun for like two or three years. He says, I want you to understand something. He says, you're going up the management route. And that's, that's okay. That's cool. He says, but that's what you're doing well at right now. And mm-hmm. he says, yeah, I want you, he said, it would be a really good idea if you just stuck around, stuck it out, give it a little bit of time here and, um, and see where that road takes you. He says, because you're, you're young, you're driven. You've got a lot of stuff ahead. How old were you when you were doing this? When he was telling you that? Yeah, this was 2017, I think. Okay. So not not too long ago, some yeah. 34, 33, something like that. My yeah. early 30s, getting an opportunity that. That's really cool. You know, haven't haven't been in EMS at that point. 14 years, 15 years, yeah. most of that experience coming from the military. Yeah. Uh, he took a huge risk. Took a yeah. huge risk uh, with that, and uh, you know he saw potential where I didn't believe I had any. Yeah. And, um, but I, you know, to your point about that is I think that's where that, and that can light a drive up in you mm-hmm. and you can, yeah. uh, you, it gets you super focused. Like I do not want to mess this up because first you don't want to make this guy look bad. Yeah. But, but by the same token, you don't want to, you know, you want to realize that potential at the same time. So I think it's a, um, you know, for all the, you know, the leaders out there that are listening to this, there's somebody that you're worried about taking a chance. I don't take a chance. They might surprise you. Yeah. They might surprise you. And also the other thing I learned allow them to fail, right? Because those lessons are the ones that are going to stick with them when you're gone. Yeah. And and, and being yeah. a good mentor to allow that person to fail forward. So, yeah. hey, you you messed this up. Here's where here's where that decision could have gotten better. So, yeah. go out there and do it again. Yeah, it seems to be an issue with a lot of organizations in EMS, uh, you know, folks are for lack of for whatever reason I should say are pretty um, training their replacement is not a thing. You know, and I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into that, right? Number one, it's a hard job, Very. baseline, hard job. And then folks may or may not stick around, right? They might exit and go do, you name it, yeah. nursing, you know, medical school, PA school, IT, like whatever, you know. 
yeah. uh, places that will pay you better. Uh, you'll work less, and you'll be home every night. You know? So you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I mean, of course, you know, grass is always greener. But uh, yeah, no. But EMS is. Um, I, I think when done right, EMS is one of the best places to train your replacement, right, and like allow people to fail forward. But it's also one of the places where it's really hard to create a good environment for nurturing leadership. I think uh, I think turnover is part of that problem. Kind of to your yeah. point there. Um, it used to be. And not too long ago, what probably what ten years ago, Moose? This was it was a career path, you know. You, yeah. you went to EMT school, yeah. and you went to paramedic school, and that's where you were. That's what you were going to do with your life, and that's what yeah. you know. That's that was certainly what I was going to do. And I mean, I, honestly, I, I've only been in since twenty fourteen, so I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, you know that fourteen, fifteen, sixteen was kind of at least in my opinion where yeah. this this change started to happen, where you know EMS in, in a, as a career field in general started changing into a. Um, a stepping stone to nursing, PA, yeah. med school. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you how many paramedic partners I had that moved on to, to PA school or or, or uh, medical school. Why do you think that, that is? Time. There are the folks that that you know that get really deep into the the clinical aspect of the job, and they get yeah. really deep into it, and they study and they study and they study and they build this foundation, this knowledge. Mm-hmm. but sometimes you're in a system where you can't use it, yeah. right? You're like, I know what needs to be done, but my protocol says this, and I know it to be maybe not the best option based yeah. on the, the science that I've been reading because, you know, we all get smarter, and then we know everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think that's a piece of it is they get so deep in that, they want to be able to use that and make those decisions yeah. and, and, and completely, you know, use their entire – book of of knowledge and and push themselves further and you know know, being being responsible for those those treatment decisions with that base of knowledge i think that drives some folks Uh, of course the money's way better yeah (laughs) of course yeah the the money's way better but um if i had to put at least for me um if i was looking to make a change to get out of ems it would be and, and stay on the clinical side of things that would definitely be the 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 driving force behind that yeah. Um, to to be able to like use all of the the knowledge that that I'm reading and studying and give some uh, uh, purpose behind the the studying yeah. on the weekends and reading papers at night or yeah stuff like that. So you know, I would say that I 100% agree with you. I think um, one of the things that I learned, and part of the reason we started the podcast, is because I learned how much I didn't know. Yes. And like. I am 100% guilty of like bridging concepts together with false bridges that mm. afterwards I learned were incorrect. Um, I think I, I, I personally, I never, I don't think I ever made this error, but um, the whole idea of like CPAP pushing fluid out of the lungs. Mm-hmm. Once I actually learned good lung physiology, I learned that this is not this like, not actually happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like it's like physiologically incorrect. Yeah. Um, but that's like a light bulb moment that I was like speaking truth to before, right? The other thing is, um, uh, so like drawing up adenosine and flushes, right? Mm-hmm. Before you, you know, so you can just do a straight push instead of doing like a stopcock method. Right. I recently learned that flushes are not made out of the same plastic that syringes are. Did you right. know that? Right. I didn't know that. And the accuracy of the 
markings on a, f- a flush are not the same as the accuracy of right. flushes on syringes. Like they're not approved. They're not FDA approved for medication delivery. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like I didn't know that. The only reason I learned that is because actually one of the pharmacists that took me under her wing uh, when I was a pharmacy technician at Bayview, when I was like a complete mess up, right? Yeah. Like terrible GPA at UMBC. <laughs> I dropped out. I was working part-time while, I mean... Uh, so August of 2014, I got hired as a par- uh, part-time pharmacy technician at Bayview, and uh, I was I became an EMT August 2014. And this uh, pharmacist had no reason to kind of like what you had no reason to take a chance on me, but like she would like actually she realized I was interested in medicine. She yeah. would take me to the ER, you know, show me all these things. I now active not actively, but I've used her a couple times as a resource, and we uh, we wanted to do an adenosine study to compare like an administration. Uh, methods uh, to see what was best and we were just in the early stages of planning mm-hmm. this study mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was in a meeting with her and uh, a physician and um, she, uh, I, I was telling her my plan for this study and she's like yeah you can't really do that because of this I'm like oh man I just got you know stonewalled but with good reason yeah. right and you realize I'm like damn I really did not know that and I didn't even know that I didn't even know that you know what I mean? And that's the scary part. Like yeah. you, you had that realization and then there's the next realization of, oh shit, what else, what else is out there that I don't know? Exactly. And I think a lot of those realizations, which I learned particularly a lot when I started doing more like airway stuff. Yeah. You know, once I realized yeah. how much I sucked and like how much like, cause you hear things about like no DSAT, right? But then you think about like, why is this a thing? And you keep asking why, keep asking why, and you go so deep mm-hmm. uh, you know, in classes and reading and stuff like that, and you realize, damn, I don't know what I don't know, right? Right. And then you realize that, well, who who am I looking to as leadership, right? Who am I looking to uh, to help me with these questions? And the answer for me was always physicians. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Which is why, like, my I had the goal of becoming, like, a physician, obviously that goals not there anymore but like you know that that was the natural progression for me um and because what i always found was there's a lot of good paramedics that knew a lot Mm -hmm. but they never knew as much or in it's not even an an amount issue it's an integration issue so they Mm -hmm. might have a lot of information but they weren't integrating it right because there's no replacement for that medical education right and that's probably a hot take right i'm probably going to get some flack for that but like i don't i would argue still like even in the world of like mid-level providers, uh, there is no replacement for four years of medical education, full-time medical education, and then a residency. Sure. And um, it, whenever I was stuck in a rut, like my medical director, especially at Cecil, he was cool, mm-hmm. um, and a few other physicians I you know I can think of right now. If I asked them a why, I mean Vitberg, the medical director for the podcast, you know, if I asked him a why, he would break it down in a way that uh, it, it, would, it would click. Yeah. Right. And that's when you realize that, damn, I really don't know what I don't know. But then the next step, I think, is like I, that's when why I aspired to be lo- like one of those people. Yeah. But now I'm one of those paramedic, I would, paramedics, I would say, that doesn't know what I don't know. But what, that at least a little bit, I should take that back, that does know a little bit that I don't know, right, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I hesitate to explain things or talk about things without getting input from other folks. Sure. I mean, that's fair. That's just yeah. you. Like, what they call it, due diligence, you mm-hmm. know? Make sure you don't go But I think there's a lot of paramedics that early on are so cocky, are so, um, you know, the Dunning-Kruger curve. They're at the top of that Dunning-Kruger curve, oh, yeah. right? What they call it, the peak of Mount Stupid. Yeah, and yeah. they're about to fall hard, right? Yeah. 
And because uh, I, I was one of those, uh, hey, I was definitely one of those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but. Well, there's a graduation there, right, from, from what you're talking about. So at the technician level, it's really easy of technician level thinking um, of essentially you're a protocol jockey, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong, not, not, not really anything wrong with that. You're still safe. You're still doing what you're, what you're supposed to be doing, at least in the prescribed manner from your medical director. And, and at that level, it's really easy to feel like you're, a, you're the bomb. It's really easy to feel like you're, you're just on point and I know everything because I did it right by the numbers and, and I did it right because the protocol said I did it right. Until you have that one time where you protocoled somebody down near to death. Yeah. yeah. And you go, okay, wait a minute. But the protocol said, but the protocol said, protocol said, protocol said. And then you start to branch out and start to do your, like you were talking about, kind of do your own research and you speak to physicians. You speak to people outside of the realm of EMS and you go, hmm something's happening here yeah um I'm, I'm i feel like i'm smarter than my protocols now and you're making that graduation to clinician yeah. from technician to clinician level thinking where yeah. where you have now you look at your your protocols are more guideline mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of agencies out there and i've worked for them that say you know these aren't prescriptive mm-hmm. these are these are guidelines this is look at this like Hey, I'm I'm looking at this problem with the human body, and these are my options for taking mm-hmm. care of it. And it's up to you to use your nugget mm-hmm. to figure out what's the best way to apply my toolbox mm-hmm. to this problem to fix it. Yeah, that's a great point. So first thing I would say is that graduation from technician to clinician, you're still on top of that. Uh, oh yeah, cliff. definitely. And I think I would argue that that's the worst point when you think you're smarter than the protocol. Right. And I think that's the most dangerous. You can either fall off that cliff. Or you can rappel down the side yeah, and yeah. get down into that pit of despair of like yes. I don't know anything and I'm yes. such a I'm such a doofus and maybe I should just go be a bartender or something. Yeah. And then you 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 just start to eventually start to sweep back up that other peak. Yeah. To where and I forget what the next peak is called. Don't you know, somebody yeah. blow me up on that in the yeah, comments. Yeah. But, but it's like a working knowledge thing. Like you know yeah. that you don't know but you're you're building up right. like that undertow of uh, you know, experience and knowledge yes um i always say that no when you talk about like degree requirements and stuff there's no replacement for a good classroom education but there's also no replacement for experience so the argument is getting a balance of both and having a consistent exposure to both right um it's the quality of both too oh of course it's certainly the quality you can i mean you could spend four years in the wrong classroom. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been taught by paramedics who didn't know what they were talking about. Absolutely. Pushing fluid out of the lungs, right? CPAP, yeah, either that or lungs. like um, just the, the, the getting the molecular physiology incorrect. And the only reason I know that is because then I went and took those classes to understand. And then you get the argument of, well, is that going to change your treatment? Mm-hmm. I would say 99% of the time it's not. But that 99% of the time, it's not is also when your protocol matters, right? right. But that right. 1% where, and I can only think of one call in my life where I actually made a decision that was against the protocol. Not against the protocol, mm-hmm. but uh, it was withholding a medication when it, when the protocol said you can give it, which okay. ended up helping this patient, right? Because right. it, it was a newly acquired AFib. Um, you know, uh, the protocol said give a particular medication, right? A calcium channel blocker. I she had just started a beta blocker, and the combination uh, of beta blockade plus calcium blockade, of course, can a create day. a heart block, right? So <laughs> be a bad day. Yeah, and um, I, I chose not to give the medication. I was chastised for it, even though this woman was in a RVR rate. Uh, 
she was clinically stable unless we like got her up, then she would become hypoxic. But she was okay in my ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision to not give her the medication. Right. Um, there's a couple other things in there. But regardless, like it, th- that's the 1% of the time is when you might kill somebody. And if you know your stuff, you're not going to kill that right. person. Technician level thinking, I'm giving this medication because yeah. it's indicated. Mm-hmm. Clinician level thinking of, I can, but should I? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's a great example of that. Yeah. But, you know, I used to say, you know, we were talking about education there. And uh, I have this written down somewhere, I, one of those nights where you're kind of like just venting. And I honestly believe that the most dangerous place that will ever operate as paramedics is not in a ditch or a highway or it's in the front of a classroom of paramedic students. Mm, that's good. It's the most dangerous place that a paramedic yeah. will ever operate. Yeah. Because if you're not prepped or you're just kind of mailing it in because, you know, I was good enough to be here and mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing because I'm a paramedic. And you start talking to people about CPAP pushing fluid out of the lungs. Mm-hmm. And, and what, do you, what did you do? You just created 30 people or 15 nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 15 folks are walking around out there, one, with a false sense of security because I know this information and I know how it works. Mm-hmm. And two, with bad knowledge. Yeah. Bad knowledge. You know, that's a good, I've never thought about it that way. But, yeah, that is one of the most dangerous places. I, I, uh, I feel that especially now that I'm not in the field full time. You know, like to the point where when I'm going to class, I try to review what we're going to be going beforehand. Sure. Obviously, I, there's varying degrees of review that I do, but, you know, right. I, I try my best. And the the other hallmark thing that I think we do at our – so I guess we should say that we teach together, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I always tell the students if there's any sort of discrepancy, I never say they're wrong. I say – I first ask them, did someone here teach you that? And if so, let's have a discussion at the end of class. Sure. And let's debrief. And I think any of our students would say would, would attest that we do that. Yeah, um, that's also a hammer, you know, a testament to the program director, right? And Absolutely. setting a pace like that. But um, we do that so that it's all in the open. And it's not to call any one instructor out or any one student out. But no. if the instructor's doing something wrong, then I mean, at that point, the feelings kind of kind of go out to the side, right? And obviously, you gotta be professional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is that that you said it perfectly i mean we're going to be creating 15 bad habits like if you're not yeah. nervous every time you step up in front of a classroom yeah. you're you, you need to take a second and yeah. remember what you're doing yeah. because these these yeah. folks are going to use the knowledge that we're giving them that you know when especially like when this you know that shot class that we we yeah. were co-teaching i was nervous as all get out because uh this is my first time uh teaching co-teaching this is the first time you and I were teaching together. And I'm like, man, this is kind of a heavy topic. And I'm yeah. like, oh, goodness. I'm sweating bullets because I'm like, this is the stuff that they're going to use, you know, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying that they just took word-for-word word notes and are going to apply everything I said. But, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to use this as – I'm laying the foundation for them. Yeah. And if it's not level and if it's not, you know, poured correctly – then it's a house of cards that they're building on top of that. Yeah. And it's, man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm nervous every time I get up in front of a class just yeah. because I'm like, goodness, that, that weight, that, you know, that, that pressure from, from doing that. And honestly, every educator out there should feel that same pressure Yeah. of man. I'm, I'm either setting these people up for success or I'm setting them up to fall off of the cliff Yeah. and into that pit of despair. And we, you know, we, we have a responsibility, you know, as instructors to make sure that, we keep we keep our edge, you yeah. know, and we keep ourselves, um, you know, well well prepared and well read. It's not enough to be to have been doing it for 
15 years and stand up in front of a class and talk yeah. about it, talk at people and tell stories. It's not enough. Well, because like the house of cards can be built that high to the point where you are teaching somebody mm-hmm. on a house of cards. Yes. And I've seen that. Mm-hmm. My, that's like one of my biggest fears that like I'm teaching something that is fundamentally incorrect. Yes. And I, I, I would also argue that some paramedic education materials that are accepted as the status quo, good to go, mm-hmm. uh, I just rhymed there. Status quo, good to go. Uh, Well done. uh, Resources are terrible. And uh, again, that's one of the other motivations for this podcast. Yeah. Let me tell you something. It was disappointing. I did not. My paramedic school textbook stayed in the closed plastic. I never opened it. My combination of a biology education, even if it, the, the, me almost failing out of biology at UMBC got me more knowledge mm-hmm. than the paramedic program did as a bio. That's a problem yep. that combined with my, uh, I shouldn't say my paramedic program, the paramedic textbook, my paramedic program was amazing. Sure. Um, but that combination of paramedic program with, uh, my experience in the pharmacy, you know, but having exposure to, you know, clinical medicine before getting into EMS, mm-hmm is what really propelled me through uh, paramedic school. Now, my paramedic instructors were very good at applying the EMS and teaching me, like, that part of it. Um, but I remember simple things, like someone saying that, like, uh, you know, one of the questions was, like, what's what's the worst skull injury? Which is a horrible question to ask anyway. But then yeah. one of the options was, like, an open skull fracture and a closed skull fracture or a depressed skull fracture. The correct answer was an open uh, uh, skull fracture because of infection. Mm-hmm. I said the depressed skull fracture because of the acute like risk for like seizures. Right. And I like I was sort of an ass to my instructor, like right. uh, who now teaches. You know, I yeah. we teach with him, but uh, at the time I was like, this is completely incorrect, and this is an example of why this resource sucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's true, like, and there was, I don't say this anymore, but there was a period in my life where I, right when I started to learn, like, maybe when I was a year or two in as a paramedic, I was like, I would tell students, once you're at a paramedic school, don't look at paramedic resources. Right. Go look at, like, physician resources, maybe some, like, critical care, emergency nursing specialty stuff. Absolutely. Right? Maybe not the baseline nurse stuff, but, like, the specialty stuff. Go look at, like... And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about the flight resources at the time, mm-hmm. but like they're pretty solid too. Like I got a flight textbook in there right now, yeah, um, in my office. Um, but I was like, go look at other stuff. Yes, like that. Uh, even if it's a class, like I would used to go to Grand Rounds, mm-hmm. um, pharmacy Grand Rounds when I worked at Downtown Hopkins, and. I'll tell you what, within the first five minutes, I'd barely be able to capture because that's when they taught the super basic stuff. And then the rest of the 55 minutes, I was lost. <laughs> I was completely lost. I was there for the free lunch in the first five minutes. Yep. But that first five minutes, I learned something every single time. And that's all that matters. If you learn one thing, it's a success. I went to this, like, some dinner about uh, some random eye issue. Because, like, Hopkins has this network where you can, like, sign up for, like, free CME. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, technically for doctors. But at the time, they didn't know that anyone with a JHU, like, or JHMI email could go in. So I just signed up and went. And uh, it was great. Neuromyelitis optica. That's what it was. 
And like, sounds interesting. It was at this fancy <laughs> restaurant in Harbor East, which is like a posh part of Baltimore City. And uh, like, they like valeted my car, which was like a '96 Corolla with like 390,000 miles on it. <laughs> I'm walking in there, and I'm like, "Damn!" Uh, it, it was at Roy's, and I'm, I'm standing. I'm like, "Damn, this is pretty fancy." And it's like a small private room with like maybe 20 seats, and I'm one of them. And I just walk in. And, like, everyone's got, like, doctor, and, like, there's, like, names of people, and everyone's doctor, doctor, doctor. One of my friends who was a pharmacist had gone, and he was, like, into it. He was sitting in the front, and I just, like, was sitting, eating my, like, whatever it was. I think it was, like, a, it was, like, a filet dinner, like, because it was, like, a five-course yeah. dinner. Yeah. And at the end, I remember I was eating, like, the, it tastes like a, like a, what was it, like a flourless cake or something. It was, like, a, it was amazing. And I'm just, like... Hey, I think I learned something in the first five minutes, but it was still a success. You know what I mean? So, sure. like, I mean, that was probably not the. I, I honestly don't remember. I remember the name of the disease, so that's good. But, uh, uh, but yeah, any, any people should go look at things that aren't, you know, EMS. But then also bring it back to your colleagues, right? Uh, because there's a benefit to look, you know, learning something and then bringing it back and then having that discourse with people that are also in a similar experience as you. Yeah. And find the contrarians out there. Mm-hmm. Find the contrarians out there. Um, this was, I don't know, probably 2015, I think is when I started the conference world of, of going to conferences. And the first one I went to was the, uh, the CCTMC, the critical care transport medicine conference. And, you know, there was, there's contrarians out there like, uh, like Dr. Abernethy, and they were talking about ketamine and all the different ways to apply ketamine. And of course, I'm sitting there and my head explodes because I'm like, wait, we can do this stuff? Yeah. This stuff is out there? What? And, you know, to your point, you know, you got to get out and get away from or, or expose yourself. That's probably the better way to say it. Expose yourself to these different, um, these different areas of medicine and different areas of, uh, of, of, of knowledge. And so CCTMC and, and – um, AMTC at that time they they had some pretty they had some pretty good heavy topics and you know there was, there was a critical care and flight uh, flight specific I went to EMS World that I think that same year we did a lot of conferences that year um, and the Eagles and all that stuff so you got to go and see everything if even if it's like you you know kind of like you were alluding to if it's like way above your level and yeah. the water line is like right up to your nose it's like stay with it yeah. you're gonna pick something up yeah just stay with it and that opened up the whole world of paramedicine and EMS to me yeah was the phone community and it was really you know just kind of getting it, it was established but it was just getting started so there was like mcrit was out there and a couple of the yeah. you know, a couple of the uh, the og podcast yeah were, we're out there and Flightbridge was just getting started yeah and man to see you know where where it came from to what it is now yeah and the the wealth of knowledge you can get from going there or going for, to any of these other podcasts and and this one as well yeah you know and, and just expose yourself to to different knowledge different different areas of expertise i guess that's probably the better yeah, the best yeah. way to say it and watch that peak of mount stupid get a little bit lower and a little bit lower and a little bit and, lower and it's also just cool to listen to people and yeah. talk to people you yeah. know what i mean like i know i've checked my phone a couple times here but like it's also like a rare opportunity to talk to people that are in the same field or a similar field and yeah. like hear what they're where they're coming from you yeah. know what i mean like the uh uh yeah and also i've learned how hard it is to keep up with oh, like buddy. content let me tell you something especially with like i mean obviously with the pandemic and everything but full-time work and all that man it's tough but like uh dude there's so many cool people out there that have so many cool stories that yeah. have so much to bring to the table that don't even realize it yeah. because 
I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes people are just like overwhelmed with their work and their family and everything. And I love taking the opportunity to just be like, hey, you interested in coming on the podcast? I know it sounds silly. Yes, right. people do listen. You'd be surprised. Yeah. And then like uh, we just had a couple of medical students on. Yeah. Um, and yeah. did, he did a fantastic job. Uh, uh, he's a fourth year. Uh, I think he wants to go into, yeah, he, he's uh, going to family medicine. Mm-hmm. And the other one was, uh, he's on a, so he finished his first two years. He's on a break doing research up here. And we just talked about renal stuff. You know what I mean? You just talk to him. Just sitting down casually talking yeah. well, about renal one, stuff yeah, over yeah. some bourbon. Well, that was, yeah. <laughs> well, that one was over, that was virtually, but like, it was great because I think that's one of our top episodes right now. Like, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, people want to learn that stuff. Cause like, I don't know anything about that. And then there's yeah. just two cats casually discussing it in, yeah. a, in a format and a method that they can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And when we first started this podcast, I was kind of concerned about keeping things 30 minutes. Now I don't care. Like the, I mean, look, uh, what, what, yeah, the Rogan podcast, right? The number one podcast has three hour episodes. Yes. Obviously, they're doing some right. You know what I mean? Yes. And quite frankly, it's also like, why am I doing this? Right. The point I, I, I set out, and you can ask anybody on the team. You can ask Ken. You can ask Vitberg. I always have said we will never charge a dime for this podcast. Right. We will never ever charge anyone, especially any educational content. We will not charge a dime. Right. Because. Because, I mean, at this point, like, if we if we got back into it, how we were pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. we were clearing, like, 1,000 to 2,000 listens a week, and we were on our way up, right? Dude. Like, th- that's pretty solid. But, like, that's really cool that we're doing something that's helping people, right? Absolutely. And I hate the fact that, like, so, you know, folks make a lot of money off of paramedics that don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Like before we started recording, we were talking about like your beginning salary. Yeah. Like, dude, let me tell you something, man. When I first started at Cecil County, I was making like 20, I think 20 something working 48 hours a week. And everybody knows how hard it is. And like, I didn't have a family. I was a single dude living at home. On $20 yeah. an hour. Yeah, bro. Yeah, I know. You're doing all right. I was doing okay. You're doing Plus, okay. over time, it was pretty solid. Yeah. No but kids, like, no kids or child support. Yeah, well, Man, yeah. You're like the unicorn of EMS. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, dude, I barely got a fiance now. I think she gets annoyed with me every day. But no, it's a. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh no, uh, that but that's the thing, man. You got people, hardworking people. Got three. How they how they balance childcare. Yep. Taking care of the you know kids, schooling, all that stuff. They oh, they're in school themselves. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, but I don't want them paying for their education. Yeah. The least I can do is help people by hopefully giving them some sort of knowledge that isn't, like, super rigid and strict. And, yeah, yeah you're not going to get con ed from us for now. Uh, but, like, uh, right. you know, at least you might get something that might make your day a little easier. Maybe it's e- – even if you just get to listen to something from folks that are, uh, you know, similarly minded and, you know, kind of have gone through or are going through stuff that you go through and you might even get some good information out of it. I think that at least you get a conversation started at the bar after your shift. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, th- that's what I like. And that's, what's cool about, uh, you know, kind of circling back to what we were, how we got to this topic. Like you gotta get that knowledge in the first place. Yeah. And you, you gotta go get it. Like if you're yeah. waiting for your organization to give it to you, you can forget it. You know, you work for, we work for a million billion dollar companies that, yeah don't invest very much back into you and you, you have to go get it. You have to find the podcast. Um, Full disclosure, I know know nothing about like the, 
billing side of things? The, the, um, I, I think it just depends. And that's not true. You know, for every organization, there's some organizations that are, that are, that do this really, really well. They have their own podcast. Um, the, the, the organization that I just departed over the summer, they had their mm-hmm. own podcast and they have a really robust clinical education system and, you know, individual educators at each base and, and stuff like that. So they're, they're CME. You never have to worry about, mm-hmm. you know, hitting your numbers for research. You just have to make sure you you go in and do the classes on time and stuff like that. And they yeah. beat you up until you get the classes done anyway. So yeah. um, there's organizations like that that are doing it right. There's there's other organizations that, um, you know, they're a lot smaller. And they <laughs> they tout how much money they put back in the bank at the end of the year, a couple hundred grand or, you know, a six-figure number. And, you know, the, the, the line staff, half of them are going to say, well, why didn't you put that money in my pocket? And the other half of them are going to go, put that money in my brain, please. Yeah. You know, develop your staff. Or maybe both. <laughs> maybe both. You're probably going to make, and that's one of the biggest things. I'm like, and I, maybe it's obvious to me because I'm like younger and I'm naive, right? But like, it's obvious to me that the correct option as a leader all the time is invest in your people. Sure. That it's, is 110% the right thing to do all the time. You're looking at EMS literature on management leadership and employee engagement, or you're looking at fortune 500 companies you're reading ink magazine you're on linkedin you're in the military and you're trying to figure out how to get your unit to perform better the right answer and the first answer one is you know take ownership of and lead your lead your troops but the other part of that is invest in them you want them to stay invest in them you want them to grow invest in them you want them to have more money and make more money invest in them yeah and it'll be there it'll be there for them yeah you know because you're creating the environment that is conducive to them putting out the outputs that you want yes yeah 100 percent. the um uh, and there's a lot of steps to that Uh, the big thing that and this isn't really about how you treat your folks but what you look for in your folks mattis james mattis talks about the two things he looks for in people right yeah aggressiveness and initiative right right that is directly transferable to ems yeah right you take somebody that has the initiative go do that job even if they're getting driven into the dirt and they're aggressive not in not in a cowboy fashion but in a hey i gotta go do my job let me go find ways to make this person's life a little bit better at you know well let me get the chances better of them saving you know that this life and then you take that person and then you put them in an environment where you give a shit, mm-hmm. right? And you actually care about their, not only their professional life, but their family life, their, you know, their education, their right. mental health, right? right? And then they realize, damn, I'm in a spot where this person that I'm working for actually cares about me. Why don't I, you know, you'll naturally want to care for them as well, right? right? And you create that, and if you create that culture, then finally you, you're creating an, an environment it's and engagement it, and, is what you're talking about. Yeah, engagement. Yeah. You're engaged with them. They're engaged with you. Yeah. And the things keep moving forward. That's yeah. how you do it. Like uh, one of the coolest things when I worked, uh, you know, um, in where I, when I worked in 911, the um, having a leader that led from the front was always cool. You know what I mean? Like somebody that like actually, uh, you know, was engaged about the medicine, was engaged about, uh, you know, the – uh, the airway stuff was his, I mean, he's since retired, you know, was, uh, he cared about the R side. He cared about the clinical background of it. He, mm-hmm. I remember his first day, he, he asked me if I knew what like the acid base or no, my first day with the shift, or maybe I was riding along with them. I can't remember what it was, but he asked me like about the acid base equation. Cause apparently that was like his gotcha thing for everybody else. And I like spat it back to him. 
and he was a little bit like thrown off but um uh you know stuff like that like it's cool to work with, with folks like that right. yeah i don't know what the barriers are uh i imagine there's a lot of barriers well some of them you know again it's uh for some organizations and and i'm speaking a little bit off the cuff on this one um some of the organizations it's just it's a priorities thing they, they you know I, I give you this much education and, and the rest is on you it's like well, okay at least you're getting something um, some there's 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 those organizations. So we're we're gonna put them on the on this far right end of the spectrum, right? Where they have all the money and all of the, the appearingly appearing to have all of the resources uh, to do that, and we just assume that they just don't, mm-hmm. right? They 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 prioritize their their revenue or something, and then on the other the complete far end of this the other left side of the spectrum. Are the the company? They're just they just they're too small. Mm-hmm. They're they're too small, and they don't have enough uh, money to support a yeah. uh, a robust education system. And then so then in the middle are the folks who who have you know pretty robust education system or education program that are that is offered to all of their employees and even you know outreach for you know to to those smaller departments that don't have anything at all. You know, it's, maybe it's maybe it's a part of a marketing strategy, but still, mm-hmm. those those are medics that are getting education and, and EMTs that are getting education. Um, it's some of those, you know, if those if the barrier wasn't money, the barrier would then be time, mm-hmm. time and time and, and engagement. And to go back to your point of, um, you know, there's folks that are have ambition and are driven and they want to do better that come to the classes, mm-hmm. and then there's the folks who who really don't and they don't come to the classes, and and so there's. I, it's hard as from having been in those in those positions, you know, from an organization perspective to go, well, how much do I really want? You know, how much can we really invest in this and how much of a return are we going to get? Because if 75% of my team doesn't want to do the training and I have to mandate the training and make you be there or, you know, write some BS policy that says if you're not coming to training, then, then here's your disciplinary action for not coming to training. That's that just makes it, you know, that just makes it an ass whipping to do yeah. to do the training program so we so they don't do it but then on the other end of the spectrum you've got more people who want training than you could possibly support that's a good problem to have i think yeah and that's when you can reach out to the people who do you know like the vent courses or a flight prep course or something like that and bring them in to help you help offload that or maybe yeah. it's maybe there's a talent there's issue. so many people that do it for free though yeah that's what i learned yeah. i haven't paid anybody to come on here yeah they're just nice people that want to teach he hasn't paid a soul to come on yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like, dude i'm like i'm like in the in the red for this no no but uh the every single person i've asked that hey are you interested in coming out? they never say no right right uh and then I obviously take it on myself to like make it as convenient as possible, except for you. You came to my house, but like, uh, yeah, but your you, wife was you, cooking. You, so yeah, you got that. fed. Yeah, you got fed. But uh, yeah, so what I would say to that though, I want to I want to bring up one point you just made. Sure. The seventy five percent that don't want to get trained, yeah. right? I'm going to flip that on you a bit. As a contrarian, uh, you know, somebody like say Jocko would sure. say that that's still your fault. Yes, he would. So take that and run with it. So if I'm looking at my organization and I look at my team and I go, okay, look, there's a large, I've only got out of my organization of a hundred people, 10 of them are taking advantage of my training opportunities. Okay. So, so what's my, what, what, what's the problem here? Let's dive in. Let's go talk to people. Let's find out, Hey, um, what is it about the training? 
that that you don't like or what is it that's not there for you so again you're going to take ownership this is my problem first yeah. this is a system issue and what is it about the program that i built that, yeah. that that you don't like or you don't that doesn't make you want to participate and you kind of go in and you solicit some feedback and that's kind of like the vanilla way you know to look at it um and you know if you're again if you're taking extreme ownership and you're looking at the, you know to use jocko's terminology if you're looking at this situation through the right lens and you're going okay a piece of this may be my fault in that did i recruit the right talent mm-hmm. to the organization yeah you know it's it's the old you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink thing yeah you know i've got everything here that you need and you don't want to participate and yeah. okay so i fixed the issues that were on my end of it i've made it as convenient i made it, i put it online i made it as painless as possible to participate and you still won't so now i have to ask myself what is it about my organization that attracted you to it that made you think that it was okay to just stay where you were and not want to improve Mm, so what's wrong with my environment that's not pushing you to want to be better like i want to be in an environment and i've left organizations because i'm in an environment where look i'm not having a fight to just be mediocre that's the environment i want to be in i want to struggle and have to give 150 percent to just be mediocre to just be good enough to be there yeah you know so you can learn from the people that are there at the pinnacles, at the peak of, of those organizations. So let me ask you this, though. You're st- uh, what I would say is I think you're still missing a piece of it. Yeah. Why is the person the way they are, right? So, And what I'm getting to yeah. is their own wellness, uh, right? What if they were one of those people that were, go- were go-getters, but they got burnt a couple times, and also they got – maybe they got a drinking problem. Maybe they got some kid issues. Maybe they got some wife issues. And – some would say that it's not my responsibility or my business, but what I would say is if my job or the job that I'm putting them into is causing at least even 1% of these mental health issues, mm-hmm. then it's my responsibility to try to fix those issues. So, yeah. So to that point, you know, if I've got all the money to build this bomb ass education program, I should probably set aside enough money to build a pretty bomb health and wellness program to, yeah. to catch those folks. Because, yeah, you can have the, the, the most awesome education in the universe out there. And if they are not um, in a mental place, in a good place in their mind, I'm sorry, but you could have Tony Robbins coming to do your, your monthly base meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and there's still going to be the people sitting in the back that are, that are they're broke. They're yeah. burned, they're broke, and they're, you, can't, you can't reach them until you heal that. So yeah. they need access to resources. Yeah. And that's, again, that's still a leadership problem, to, mm-hmm. to use Jocko's terminology. That is still your problem yeah. because you brought them to your organization. They exist on your team that way, and you're going, look, this is a sandbagger. This, yeah. this guy's just not getting it done. And the first thing you need to look for is, well, what kind of, what kind of background does this guy have? What's, yeah. what's his... What call is this guy carrying around that's that's turned him from hero back to zero, or or at least on his way to zero? Because that's one that's turnover that's fixing to happen if you don't get get a hold of it, and that's somebody you're going to have to replace and somebody you're going to have to retrain. But potentially, I mean, maybe that's a that's a mental breakdown getting ready to happen. Yeah, and you can that somebody that doesn't come to work and you find them at their house. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the first thing you need to ask yourself is what's what's going on with this cat? Yeah. You know, it's and, and sometimes it's the nature of the job. You know. Yeah. It's uh it's it's 
10 years of 2448s and eating gut rocket tacos out of a 7-Eleven. Yeah. And your body, nutrition-wise, your body's in a bad place. If your body's in a bad place, your mind's in a bad place. If your mind's in a bad place, your body's in a bad place. It's a vicious, vicious cycle that EMS just happens to to perpetuate because now we're going to add a little bit of mental trauma into it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to eat my ice cream because I just put a baby in a bag. Yeah. I'm going to eat some ice cream. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, well, and dude, so two things. First, uh, staffing ratios has, is another thing, right? <laughs> yes. Where, um, and again, I for number one, I have no experience running a, especially a commercial ambulance service. So I'm literally talking out of my ass. True. So I just want to put that out there. Don't listen to anything I'm saying. I am an idiot when it comes to this stuff. Makes two of us. Yeah, yeah. I just got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know anything about like the money, right? Um, we got we got a cat joining us, um, but like what I would say also is um, where I just lost my train of thought. What was I gonna say? I was gonna say something. You definitely have to edit this part out. I ain't editing anything. <laughs> I'm not editing anything. That's cool. You were. Um... What was I saying? Oh, I was talking about uh, I was talking about uh, staffing ratios and yeah, and but there was something else. And burnout, workload, and, uh, burnout. I think you were going we're going to go down a path of you know I I don't I don't exactly know how it's supposed to go, but here's how I here's how I think it should. Okay. Oh, are you gonna tell me how you think it should? No, no, no I, I'm oh, guessing. Okay. I'm guessing over here. Like okay. I'm, I sit in that seat, but I'm. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, money is an issue. Yeah. Um. Uh, fifty-nine days of commercial ambulance. That's what I know. Oh, fifty-nine, 59 days. days or fifty-six. It's one of the, it's in the fifties. But what I would say is this: I'm going to think of something. I'm going to say. What was I saying? I had a really good point too. I don't know. Regardless, go ahead. I was going to say dead air, dead air, dead air. No, it's not. <laughs> no, um... it's just tough, man. Because I, I imagine it's tough. Being the leader too, because you got you got your own baggage. Oh, this is what I was gonna say. No, unless you're like a multimillionaire, no one's building an EMS system, right? You're usually walking into one, and you're mm-hmm. nine. I would say the majority of the time you're walking into somewhat of a broken system. Yes, there's a hole in the game somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. because what I would argue, unless somebody was there for forty years and retired, there was a problem with that spot where you're filling. If it's a leadership spot. Sure. Right? Because, I mean, would you agree that nine times out of ten, organizations that have their stuff strained out have people that they've promoted from within? hmm Right? So if you're already got the de- – this is – yeah, this is exactly what I was going down. Yeah. You have, uh, like, you have uh, kind of the cards stacked against you a little bit maybe. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, that person was either booted out quit something like that so yeah. you're kind of already trying to fix a broken system i think you know a lot about what i'm talking about so right? you're, you're talking from this perspective of an outside hire coming yes. into that seat yeah and then you're trying you're you're you know you're trying to uh you know you're recognizing these issues and you're trying to correct some of the you know and, and it can, I, I can imagine it can be pretty overwhelming because you don't know where to start uh let me question for you do bad apples exist hmm because we're talking about like you know taking ownership and stuff like that, and in that climate, do bad apples still exist or no? I think a bad apple, yes, can exist. Um, but it, it was a, what that what a bad apple is was a was an engagement opportunity that got missed for whatever reason. 
you know, we, we were missed, we missed the uh, declining performance in the call-ins and we missed all that as symptoms of a bigger problem. Mm. And we just kind of, those employees get written off, right? Yeah. You're just a, you know what, you're just a sandbag and blah, blah, blah. And you, the thing is, is we don't, they're not in alignment with us from a, you know, when, with your leadership team and with your core values and things like that. And because they're not in alignment with you, you just dismiss them. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're just the bottom 10%. Yeah. That's, that's where you are. And that's where you live instead of looking at this as a, looking at person as an individual. And, you know, sometimes it's as simple as striking up a conversation and going, yo, I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the call-ins. I'm seeing the the declining performance and, and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm, and that's not you. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, that's not who you are. That's not what you came here to be. And that's not who you want to be. So you, you don't have to tell me what it is. You yeah. don't have to tell me what your problem is. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a mental yeah. health specialist by any stretch of the imagination. I medicate like everybody else in EMS. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it, figuratively speaking, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I want to give you the resource that you need. Now, if that resource is me and you yeah. can tell me, hey, this happened to me or the last boss did this to me and I was done, I was mm-hmm. broken, you know, that did it. And it's like, well, look, you don't have to be this guy anymore. You know, you just have a conversation with them mm-hmm. and you can try to you can try to inspire that individual. Notice I didn't use the word motivate because mm-hmm. that's going to come and go and it's going to, that's a light switch. It's on and off real yeah. quick. You, you can try to help inspire that individual through an example or through your engagement and, and those things to try to turn them around. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're they were maybe a, not, not a great, um, a great recruit for your culture that you're trying to build. And they're just, they're just a bad fit. And you need to do those therapeutic extractions. You know, again, those are, um, that's what's best for the team. And that's where you have to be loyal to the team over an individual to use another, another Jocko quote. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look and go, okay, it's best for the team that maybe this individual moves on and gets a fresh start somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that more often than not, we are missing the, the symptoms of a bigger problem. That's what I think. Fair enough. Um, uh, there's, there's. So rarely there are bad, rarely, but there are bad apples. Sure. There are people who are just ill-suited for this career field. Mm. They're ill-suited for the job that they're in, whether that's just as a, you know, in this area we have, you know, just EVO, just ambulance mm-hmm. drivers. So you use that horrible term. Yeah. But uh, they're emergency vehicle operators. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's some, sometimes those folks are just. You, you get into the job for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, it's a, it's a poor fit. So I can either help you and expose you to the right kind of culture and you can gravitate toward that, or you find yourself so, um, removed, so far removed from the rest of the team and the rest of the culture that you, you just stick out, mm-hmm. you stick out. It's like, this is the shining example of what we don't want. And at that point, you have to do right by them and the organization mm-hmm. and make a tough decision. Let me ask you this. What happens when you're not at the top, but you're the middle guy? Yeah. And you so, don't, so you don't have the support to execute. You mean like, like, like I, don't, I don't have rank? Yeah, sure. Or yeah. maybe you have rank, but it's like the middle rank. Maybe you're the middle manager and you have, uh, you have the responsibility given to you, but not the authority. Oh, so, so that's the beautiful, that's a beautiful thing, right? That's a great position to be in because leadership's not really about whether you're at the top of the food chain or at the bottom. 
Yeah. It's really, that's not what it is. You, you have management positions that have specific management tasks that have to be performed, and we call them leaders. Mm-hmm. By default, we call them leaders. But you and I both know that there's folks out there that are anything but. Yeah. And then there's folks on the ground, you know, at the, at the grassroots level that are holding the entire organization together mm-hmm. for, through their personality, through their example, and through those things. And, and there's those leaders. And your job at that middle level is to replicate as many of those bright, shiny stars, as much glue, mm-hmm. to make as much glue as possible. To, to glue that team together. I think I, I think I misspoke because you have the responsibility to be the leader, but not the authority. Right. Like you can't, uh, you don't, you probably don't have like higher fire authority, right? You have to appeal to some, exactly. to the next level to go, look, I think this dude needs to be booted. Or, but you or, have the responsibility to fix the organization. You're responsible for their performance, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you, you can have, um, you need to have a good quiver of arrows for that for those individuals. You need to have a good a good um, uh, a deep uh, uh, toolbox for those folks. And for some folks, it's having that conversation. Yeah. Hey, let, we're gonna sit down. We're gonna talk about your your performance thus far, and it's not acceptable. And yeah. there's some folks that are like, okay, that's all I needed to know. Nobody ever told me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. To take ownership for that and go look look here's here's where you're at. Here's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. You're not there. Yeah. And tell me what you need for that. Hey, all I needed was this conversation. Or, well, I need you to make so-and-so do X, Y, or Z. And it's like, okay, we got a deeper problem here. Yeah. There's there's maybe there's a culture problem in there somewhere. That, that or they could tell you to, you know, F off. They sure could. And it's like, you know what, man? I, I get it. Yeah. I, I get where you're at. I can keep an eye on you. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I need to do. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to keep an eye on it. Yeah. I'm gonna watch it for a little while because maybe, maybe I came at you wrong about it. Yeah. Maybe I came at you in the wrong setting. Maybe I just need to change the environment outside in yeah. the sunlight, away from everybody, and yeah. try the conversation. Hey, Moose, this is two men talking. Yeah. But you're fucking up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This, See, I this, think this that, is two men talking right now. I think that there should be more functional training in leadership for EMS. Oh, 100%. You can't just sit through a class on leadership yeah. concepts of this is what, this is, gen, these, no, I'm sorry, not, uh, uh, these are generational gaps and this is how you lead baby boomers and this yeah. is how you lead millennials. No, you need to be yeah. sitting across the table from somebody that's mad at the world yeah. and make them happy. Or, and like, I, maybe there's departments that do do that. I, I don't know. I, and again, I really don't know about the leadership strategies, things about various departments, but there has to be functional stuff. I'll be honest with you, man. I was thrown into a leadership. No, I was not thrown. I put myself in a leadership position when I was not prepared years ago. And that was a mistake I made. I was not ready for that. I've been there. Yeah. You know what I <laughs> mean? There. And uh, uh, I, I subsequently extracted myself from that. Yeah. Uh, uh, rightfully so. Uh, for myriad of reasons. But um yeah, no. I, I, first, I was not ready for that. I, I, I think to be in, especially in a career field like EMS, where yeah. everyone's a Type A personality, and and like, I mean, I, I, I mean, whether it's a positive or a negative Type A, they're Type A. I think there's a lot of Type Bs dressed up as Type As out there. Well, but even so, right? They're yeah. still just as equal or equally hard or harder to manage. They're harder because they're hiding. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, or they've, it's almost like, uh, they've been in this harsh environment where they've kind of created this like very, very, very intimidating and harsh, uh, personality. Yeah. It's like they lived in Siberia their whole lives and just exposed to the cold. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. just hard people. But like mentally they have been in that kind of like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, and again, you know, I don't use this term lightly, but they have been in a type of war zone where they run in, you know, 48, you know, hour sh- for some people literally 48 hour shifts of running that most tragic crap. Yeah. Right. Like, um, and they're just told to buck up. Right. There's calls pending. Let's yeah. go. And like for 24 hours, you're doing that. And then you go home and maybe you missed your kid's birthday and the wife is really mad at you, but then you just got a mandatory callback. Yeah. What do you do then? You know what I mean? Like there, I just there's a lot of those situations where it's tough to enter as a leader, especially if you're entering a bourbon system. I think you know you were you were kind of touching on it there, and I had the thought um, um, earlier on when you started talking was that I, I think sometimes we that EMS leaders we make a mistake in thinking that because you're a good paramedic or you're the best paramedic or you're the best EMT that you're going to be a great leader. Oh yeah, because That's a there's point. a there's a difference in in the functional expertise required to be an outstanding paramedic or EMT or driver or whatever, that functional expertise is IVs and protocols and no invent stuff and, and this, that, and the other thing, yeah. right? Yeah. The functional expertise to be a leader or be an effective leader has nothing to do Apples with how well you start IVs. Yeah. You know, and I, and I sometimes, I, I poo-poo the, the lead by example piece of it because it's, it's, a, it's, mis, it's mis, uh, misapplied. And that, well, okay, I'm being a great leader because I can go out and start IVs better than anybody else in my organization. It's like, oh, no, no, that's not, that's yeah. not it. And so, you know, it's, it's being the best leader. You have to promote the best leader who has the best, you know, okay, we, who's exhibiting the qualities or the characteristics most often. Find that individual, and then you send them to a course to be formally trained in, yeah. in the concepts and the, and the stuff like that. So you got to know how to do system status management. You got to know how to do demand analysis and and, and all that kind of stuff. You got to mm-hmm. know how to do that to be effective in, in in various levels of leadership. But what you have to really know how to do is is people. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to do people well. And what I mean by that is you got to know one how to talk. Most importantly, how to listen. Yeah, and and ask better questions. Hey, man, what's going on with you? You're late a whole lot. So, is a good paramedic is well in our circumstances a paramedic or whatever is a good function. Uh, whatever the base function is of the organization, is that a requirement? Before you do so, I guess in other words, do you also have to be a good paramedic that shows leadership uh, tendencies or yeah. leadership habits or? Can you be? I would argue you can't be a weaker paramedic because, especially in EMS, you're going to be weeded out. Yeah. So what you're talking about is credibility. Yeah. And um, and uh, General McChrystal, and I forget which book it is in one of the three or four that he's got out there. There's an there's an equation for it, right? So the first part of that is proven competence. The first level of credibility is proven competence. You have to show people that you know what you're doing. I can uh, shoot, move, and communicate you know, from a soldier perspective. Mm-hmm. I can shoot, move, and communicate as well as my lowest level privates because that's a baseline expectation as a mm-hmm. paramedic or an EMT I can do assessments I can do this I can do scene management I can do all these things as well or as good as my new employees or my seasoned employees I can do it just as well as they can I can prove competency to them the next piece to that to your inte- or uh, to your credibility is integrity mm-hmm. and integrity okay we we tend to kind of like broadly define that as 
um, you know, it's who you are when nobody's looking. You know, who you are when nobody's looking. I'm like, well, that doesn't exactly, it doesn't exactly hit it. Because integrity is more like a dam. And that means that, you know, the dam can hold up a whole lot. But if you put enough pressure in a certain spot, that dam will break. Mm-hmm. Or it's got a weak spot. Or if we, we overflow it, the dam's going to fail. So mm-hmm. everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has a point in which their integrity, quote, unquote, fails. Mm-hmm. And and I'd, I'd challenge any of you to, to challenge us on that, to say that, oh, well, the leaders have the highest integrity. You've never been to an EMS conference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Uh, then after it, so, so integrity, right? So I, I can show you that I know what I'm doing, and you know what's where I'm going to blow my top. That's what I'm talking about with integrity. Yeah. Can I keep my cool, or, or am I, are my buttons real easy to push? You know, mm-hmm. So integrity from that perspective. Um, am I going to you know, blow up over the little things, or am I going to ignore the big things? When this requires a very visible response, do I retreat? Because mm. I don't want to make you mad. Yeah. That's an integrity thing. As a leader, that's an integrity issue. Because yeah. at that, what, when you should be doing one thing, but you do something else, the complete opposite, that's an integrity problem. Yeah. So then the final piece of that, and the most important piece of that, especially in EMS, and this is where your proven competency and your integrity comes, comes to play, is your ability to build and maintain relationships, both up and down the chain of command mm-hmm. and horizontally across your across your not so much your chain of command but amongst your peer group and outside of your organization there's a whole bunch of leaders out there in the ems world that have reached outside of their organizations because they do stuff like you're doing like mm-hmm. a podcast mm-hmm. or they do some outreach education on the side or they tutor emt students or paramedic students so they go teach in the colleges and stuff like that and they reach outside of their organizations and you know and, and get folks moving in the right direction as far as the you know as far as the profession goes yeah. um you know your main t- being able to build and maintain relationships inside the organization is paramount to your mm-hmm. success you know and i when i made when i got my first break in management or leadership in ems <laughs> i don't think i had the relationships part all buttoned up mm-hmm. i mean i had i had friends i had folks that supported me um but i was also uh, a bit of a, a bit of a turd yeah. To folks that I didn't feel like we're we're on the same level with the rest. I say us, not yeah. me, because I was not at the top of that heap by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Never have been. Um, and you, you know, so it's it's how did you treat them in the five years before you got promoted, and yeah. how well did you build those relationships? But guess what? You're going to rely on those relationships, however well or however poorly they were built and maintained over the years. Yeah. You're going to rely on them for su- yeah. for the organization's success, therefore your success. Yeah. So all of that comes together to to build your credibility, which is the key and essential piece of being a successful leader, really in any industry, but particularly in the fire and EMS and, and, and law enforcement world. Because there's so much stuff stacked against you. Before oh, you, yeah. before your first hour. Oh, you yeah. mean like sitting like before your first, uh, first hour as the boss? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Before oh, you yeah. even get in the seat. So you're the, you're the new, I want you to be, we're going to role play a little bit. Yeah. I want you to be the new captain that okay. just got promoted. Okay. And you're, you're. I'll be the new lieutenant. I'll be the new lieutenant. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Lack of, lack of leadership to first leadership. Okay. All right. And you sit down. Am I going to embarrass myself? No, no, okay, no, 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 no. So we all know. I'll say, Moose, hey, congratulations. Well-deserved. Yeah. All right, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm very excited to be here. You're very excited? I like the paycheck. Great, man. Yeah. Awesome. I won't say that. Oh, no. we're gonna, we're yeah. the paycheck's going to look good. Yeah. Hey, you, as long as you just 
pull your load. You make sure your team's performing well. You're going to yep. be fine. I'm nervous. That, to be honest, I'm nervous. Well, yeah. I've, got, I've got your first assignment. You ready? Okay. Yep. You're going over to B-shift. Okay. And your face just like falls. Yep. Not B-shift. Yeah. It's your It's head. funny because I was on B-shift, but your, that's fine. Yeah, you're okay. in your head right now. You're yeah. going, God, no, not B-shift. Yeah. Anything but B-shift. Best shift. No. Yeah. Okay. No. No. It's Bebe's kids. Okay. B-shift is awful. Okay. B-shift is the worst engagement. Okay. They have the worst attitude problems, the worst operational performance, the worst clinical outcomes. And that's your first gig mm-hmm. as, a, as the new lieutenant. Yep. I just it, put in my two weeks. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So they give you no, a, of course not. Yeah, they, they give you the real like no shitter. And it's at that moment like you're you're confronted with this gap of You know what I would ask? Would you I would ask uh what makes you say that? Because obviously I've been in the situ I've been in the role, right? I've been a line person. So obviously I would have an understanding of a little bit I, I would already know B shift existed. Right. 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 So then I would uh number one, I would go ask them, right? Like, hey, what are the issues? Mm-hmm. Right, what's going on? And then I would go try to find the contrarian opinion. Mm-hmm. Who, what's the opposite of that? Uh, who what says B shift is the best and why? Yeah, no, no, no. Well, in your scenario, so like they're the worst, right? right. So like I talked to, I guess it's probably a captain that's telling me, since I'm a lieutenant, sure. there's a captain yeah. that's yeah. telling me that they suck. I'm like, all right, cap. And I already probably know this cap as well. So I'm already making uh, judgments about that. But then I'm going to go to B shift. Right, and they're gonna be like, "Hey, this is the new LT, whatever." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 I'm staffing one of your trucks." Right, this isn't me riding around in a buggy with you. Right, I'm riding a truck with you. Ride a box together. Okay. Yeah. So, and from there, you have to show that you are actually a competent person because they may or may not know you already as well. Mm-hmm. Right, but you first you got to prove them yourself to them. Right. And then from there, you slowly start becoming not only a part of that group, but then learning more about them. And I think that's how you end up fixing that problem. I think that's – yeah, you can fix the relationships and engagement problems that way, yeah. 100%. It's yeah. it's too easy. You go out there and be on the road with them. They can be like, all right, man, you're going to be out here when it's raining? Mm-hmm. Cool. Muddy boots leadership is what yeah. we call it. Um, and that's that's one way to do it. But you've got this, this, other, this, this other beast that's like breathing down your neck. And that's that gap of, oh, man, this is where I am. And that's who I have to become to be successful as their lieutenant. And there's this huge okay. gap, and it's where it's really where where you stop being a paramedic and you start being a leader. Yeah. And you start being I don't want to say I don't want to use the word manager because there's in the industry there's a really poor uh, uh, we we don't like to call we don't like to say those are one and the same. We like to bad leaders are managers and good leaders are leaders. Yeah. You're you're leading one way or the other. You're either leading towards yeah. success or failure. Yeah. And, you know, so how do you overcome that gap, right? And you yeah. just, you got to get in the books. You got to understand leadership. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would hope that I wasn't put in that position without some sort of like, but a lot, like we said before, a promoted lot, the best paramedic I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? No, that's fair. No, that, that that's absolutely fair. But I think a, a part of that leadership training does show that you have to be, I mean, like you said, right? You yeah. have to be, like, uh, what was the first part of credibility? I forgot. Uh, proven confidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and then after that, you work in whatever, like, and maybe you don't have that training. Yeah. Right? Most of them don't. Yeah. There's, there's very few, and at least organizations that I've been exposed to outside of, like, um, paid fire departments that have a... A leadership academy. Yeah, like Fire Officer 1, Fire Officer 2, EMS Officer 1, EMS yeah. Officer 2, and stuff like that. Um, you know, the most you might get is uh, maybe an FTO program. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, let me Which is, I would argue you. that's apples and oranges because you want them to be a good paramedic. Yeah. And they have you to know? know what good paramedics look like. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. Which is not a good, par- like you said, knowing how to train a good paramedic does not mean, you know, leadership. Doesn't mean you can manage. It doesn't mean you can inspire. It's like a Venn diagram. Yes. Right? You know, yeah. some of it, uh, some of it uh, overlaps, but not all of it. Yeah. And oh. you, there's, uh, I have this actually, it's more like a pie chart. Okay. Of, of Wait, what's the, a, of the, a pie chart? Oh, okay, pie yeah, chart. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, of what, you know, what functional expertise you have to have to be successful yeah. at that level versus just looking for good paramedics and whatnot. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of FTOs out there that are just really great evaluators. Yes, you're good at this. No, you're bad at yeah. this. Very subjective evaluators. And there's very, I haven't seen a whole lot of them that are actually good at taking you, seeing you where you're at right now and going, okay this guy is here on this scale of paramedics yeah, and, and taking you up a notch or two mm. or using the tools that they have to improve you instead of just going good enough. It's like technician versus clinician. Right. There's, it's the same thing with leaders and leadership and management. Can I ask you the most important question? Oh man. You got me thinking about pie. Oh, What's yeah. the best pie you ever had in Texas? Best pie? My dad's apple pie. hundred oh. percent. Hands okay. down. My dad can make an apple make pie that, that the ladies in church would Put against their own any day. I will come to church just for pot. Yeah, buddy. I tried yeah. to make it once back over and Christmas. And I'm a Muslim. And it didn't so that's saying something. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I like pie. Hey, apple, apple, pie. apple pie is good in any religion. We should probably go down to Texas and get some guests that are your friends. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. That would be a good day for Where sure. Where would that be? That would be, like, if you want to run into my old, like, like you want to run my old stopping ground? I'm being there? 100% serious. Yeah, uh, that'd be because I need to get central, out of here. I need a vacation. Central Texas, Central Texas, basically San Antonio to Waco, and there's plenty of places to Waco. find trouble there. Okay, no, you don't want to go to Waco. No, there's no, nothing no, fun in Waco. I was just saying Waco. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's nothing fun in Waco. Actually, you can go to a Baylor game in Waco. Probably not fun for me. Maybe fun for you. I don't know because you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Probably fun for you, not for me. No, you'll be fine. Cause we're... I imagine there's not a lot of Mustafas running around awake. No, but there's plenty of Jose's, and you've got to check that box, too. Fair enough. So that's we a can pass point. you off. Just that's put a, a hat point. on. That's fair. That's <laughs> we'll be fair. good. I don't know. All right. All right. No, I'm not going to say anything else offensive on here. Getting heat, heat rounds for that one, for sure. Definitely getting heat <laughs> rounds for that one. Hey, so, yeah, we should actually do that, though. That'd yeah. be cool. Be a lot of fun. Like Texas Texas beers and bourbons. Oh, yeah. We'll go to the, uh, the Garrison Brothers Distillery. Yeah. Yeah, they're in. Uh, well, I want to go down and get some barbecue. Oh, then we definitely have to go to like um, Lockhart, which is where Lockhart. Okay, so who are we bring? We're going to land here? in Austin. Okay, and we're going to take a right coming out of there. Can we just hang out in Austin? Well, we could, but there's, I mean, but there's good barbecue, but you're going to wait four or five hours for it to go to mm. what is this? What is it? Um, oh, dang it! It's a really famous one, really famous barbecue joint there in Austin. You know, yeah. they, people wait for hours. No, I don't, I don't care about that. I want to go to like a place that like. So we're gonna go to Blacks or uh, or uh, what is it? City Barbecue there in Luling, Luling, okay. Texas. Okay. Luling. We can go to. Um, oh man, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember this joint in Lockhart. Right off of the right off of the highway. M- amazing, okay. amazing barbecue. Who are we bringing on the show? Who are we bringing? Are they credible? Oh yeah, yeah. So we've got, uh, you know, there's the folks down there at the Starflight. Okay. Some folks down there at Starflight. Got my old buddy Phil. Okay. My mentor, Phil Ward. Who's the guy that you said took a chance on you? Terry. So Terry. So we'd have to go up to the Dallas area. Okay. Talk to Terry. So Terry's running the uh, the 
the Children's Pediatric Transport Program for Medical City. Ooh, he's so over that, so he's doing a lot of the, the baby ECMO stuff in, in 135. Oh, God. Yeah. That sounds yeah. horrible. Um, in, a, in conjunction with their air medical vendor, which is PHI uh, there. And, yeah, he's a good We he's should a, talk to Terry. He's a good dude. You should definitely talk Shout to Terry. Shout out to Terry. Terry. Um, Terry gets it. Terry yep. gets it. He goes, your resume is like, your resume is cool, but you yeah. got to look past it. My partner's name was Phil, too. Yeah? Where I worked. He was uh, cool. So I actually just the, worked with him on Monday. That would be the other guy that we absolutely would have to hang out with is, is Mr. Phil Ward. So when are we doing this? Uh, I'll, I'll buy a ticket tomorrow. Yeah, we could I'm, do that. I, f- I suddenly feel sick next week. I yeah. think it's I think it's covid I mean, we could probably go in February. Well, COVID doesn't exist in Texas. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, you're, right, you're right. As long as we go to church, they won't get yeah, us. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll get me still. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the worst rated show you've ever done. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. This is fun. This is... This is kind of cool. This is more so like I mean, nah. I kind of wanted to do clinical stuff, but this stuff is fun too. Yeah, because this is the this is the lifestyle. I think that's what we're. I think that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah. Is this this is the apple pie and the, church? It's the lifestyle episode. Apple yeah. pie and church, and yeah, I could go for some apple bourbon pie trails and and uh, you know the whole nine yards. We should that's actually do that. Barbecue. I forgot that part. We're definitely doing it for barbecue. Probably good to, could, we should go to a good range. If I could smoke a respectable brisket, I would have already done it for you, but I can't. I cannot. I'm a failure. I'm Are a, you allowed to say that as a I, Texan? Uh, no. In fact, I'm I'm probably going to catch some heat for it. Yeah. If anyone yeah. listens to this. If, but I don't know. I imagine people are going to sign on to this and think there's going to be some great clinical episode. Dope. You think they're still listening right now? We can still do clinical stuff. We're an hour and 24 minutes in. Are we really? Yeah. We have been... Shooting the breeze for an hour and 24 minutes. Yeah, we haven't even talked about like the actual topic, which is mean arterial pressure. That guy. We should probably just do that another episode. We could. I mean, it's We fine. could make it your long format, your three-hour podcast if you wanted to. We could. We could do that. We could. Which was actually this kind of a, you know, it's kind of, I guess that's where you and I really hit it off, though, was all this that is. That lecture? Like the, yes, yeah, the, it's the. Oh, yeah. The, oh, what's the word? everything coming together that we've been talking about it's it's uh you know knowing your shit clinically it's it's uh, yeah we should probably tell people about how that night went yeah and maybe we could float in the some of the concepts we talked about yeah so i you know i, I signed up for the lecture because it was it was a lecture i was already doing um for the organization that i was that i was working for at that time yeah and uh it was part of their academy and i of course at that level, I was, I was crapping all over myself trying to do the lecture at that level. Yeah. And um, I had some stuff worked out, and it just so happened that as I was finishing that lecture in one, one area that it popped up for the paramedic class, and I looked up, and I was like, I guess Moose is going to be there tonight, but it's an all-lecture night. So I don't, yeah. know, Moose I don't even know why I signed up for that night, because I, I wasn't supposed to be there. I don't know. Um, yeah. But we ended up co-teaching cold. Yeah, I, like, wrote no, my notes while you were lecturing. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'd had the, kind of the slides reworked from the other lecture that I did and yeah. we were co-teaching cold and co-teaching was a, was a, um, was a block I always wanted to check ever since I did the, uh, the NAMSI course with Dr. Nolette yeah. and watched the way Dr. Nolette and, uh, was it John Creech? Yeah. They did co-teaching. That was, 
it was it's ridiculous. I'm like, I'll yeah. never be able to do and that. And we're hopefully going to be co-teaching at the EMS Care Conference yes. coming up in May or April. I never got confirmation on that. Oh, man. But, yeah. I'm suddenly not ready. Yeah, well, you better be because I signed us <laughs> up for, like, a keynote. So A keynote? Yeah, it's a 90-minute section. I do? Me, you, and uh, a third person I'm not going to name because it's not official yet. A 90-minute section? Yeah, it's going to be 30 minutes each. Well, we filled up 90 minutes full of BS, so we should You know be who okay actually there. is going to be lecturing with us, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going to be the guy that everyone comes and listens to, and then we're just going to be there for, like... Schmucky the clown yeah, yeah. sitting over there. I mean, realistically, he's going to go at the end, so people give us good ratings at the end. Well, that's why. I'll probably go first. No, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely going first. Well, no, because I'm doing the physiology of it. You're doing, like, the technical stuff that I don't know about. I don't know, like, vent stuff. Well, not vent stuff, but, like, I don't know, critical care stuff. I don't know critical care stuff. Ask yeah, around. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but, like, so it was a lecture on shock, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, it was uh, but manage, it wasn't, management of the critically ill that we kind of turned it into a shock lecture. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, tell us about what you started with. Um, so we, so kind of the background of it was, you know, getting... As we're going through the course, we're seeing the the, the students are oh, let's get them on the monitor and find out what's going on. I'm like, well, I didn't tell you anything, and they didn't understand why. It, the, the monitor tells you a little bit about a little bit, but really, you you have to be able to dis, distill and discern what the monitor is telling you. Do you want ice cream? Do I want ice cream right now? Yep. No. Okay, I'm gonna get. I got, got dessert. I'm gonna get some ice cream. I think. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm you can keep talking. No, no, no. We're oh. good. We're good. I'm just craving <laughs> ice cream, or maybe a popsicle. <laughs> Actually, you know what would go down good is that um, pralines and something else, ice cream. I don't think I have pralines. That's one of the cats yeah, yelling in the background, I think. Yeah, Can pralines and something else. That would go down good. We, uh, I got popsicles, like the cheap kind that are really good. Your mom's going to kick us out of the kitchen any minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Ash, can you uh, uh, throw me a couple top-tier uh, popsicles, if you don't mind. Are they Kool-Aid popsicles? Dude, they're good. You should get some. <laughs> you should seriously get one. I they're can go for an oops. I, I feel bad because I kind of cut off your uh, your your the serious part of the podcast. But no. uh, oh man, you can hear the freezer from this. You you bought me some time. To get I'm my not editing together. any of this. I, I wonder if my co-leaders of this podcast are going to be disappointed in me after they listen to this and that hour one hour and 29 minutes a minute one hour and 29 minutes they're going to be well, like that's how long it takes for thanks baby. Elon Musk to get to the point on the Rogan podcast the penguin, the penguin? yeah what do you want give it back oh here you go I... oh sorry at least we're not smoking weed on here we should <laughs> have a video component no God. no this is a face for radio man Dude, I'm okay with. Dude, you got a better piece of meat. It's fine. It don't matter. No, this is a face for radio. How's that Otter Pop treating you? Dude, you sure you don't want one? I'm hot positive. Dude, they're so good. I'm good. Oh, you got me an orange one. Oh, damn. Thanks, girl. She's cool. <laughs> All right, back to map. I, I, I think I was just like to land the plane. There's not a there's not a like wealth of of uh, of diagnostic capability. In an ambulance oh, yeah. or in an, or in a helicopter, you know, um, but there is enough information that you can gather f- 
from the from the machines that you do have that you can kind of start to narrow things down and make like your functional working diagnosis and stuff like that and that's really what i was that's the point i was trying to drive home with them was like look the, you, you don't you shouldn't have to rely on an entire you know in the pre-hospital world resource and this is in, in the pre-hospital world doesn't just mean an ambulance this is you know uh the far forward deployed environments like my little brother's training people to go do um, What's your little brother now? He's the uh, the training NCO for 20th Special Forces Group down in Alabama. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, we go to so Alabama too. Yeah, we oh definitely we're hanging out in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, we got to go. Hey, uh, Alabama in April for CCTMC, man. I don't know what that is. It's Orange Beach Critical Care Transport Medicine Conference, April. I neither do critical care or transport, but I'll so, go. <laughs> but it's a bomb conference, though. Are you gone? Oh yeah, I never missed it. I haven't missed it what since year? 2015. When is it? April. I could probably make that happen. Yeah, definitely make it happen. Yeah, and it's on it's on Orange Beach. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's the beach in Alabama. Is the beach actually orange? No, it's white. Wait, is the beach? Is it on the ocean? Is Alabama connected? That's to the ocean? generally what a beach is for. The ocean. I didn't know Alabama was coastal. Yeah, man, it's the Gulf of Mexico. Alabama touch? I did not know that. Yeah, man. I just assumed that yep. it was like land. The whole bottom part of it. Whole bottom part of it, and then Mississippi touches it. Is too. it right next to so Florida? Does, so does Louisiana, and oddly enough. Florida and Alabama touch each other. Huh. They call it Florabama. Are you just making this up? Nope. There's okay. a bar called Florabama. I'd, I'd go to Alabama. With some pretty bomb oysters. Are you actually going to go? I am going. Okay, then I will probably go. <laughs> How much is it? Is it expensive? Uh, it's like three bills for registration and then your, oh, then your room, whatever that's going to be. You probably, you got a pretty cool boss. He might, he might pay for it. I don't think so. Okay. Well, it's worth an ask. But I'll, I'll, I'll ask. It's worth an ask. (laughs) Um, Back to map. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, this is um, it's 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 teaching the guys that you know what shock doesn't have anything to do with blood pressure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it does it, but but not really. It's an indicator that something's wrong. But um, you're making a mistake if you're treating the blood pressure in isolation. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to fix the blood pressure. I'm just trying to fix that systolic. The fluid issue. Yeah. 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 Let me just give them some fluid and, and we're good to go. And this kind of goes back to, you know, maybe the way that we were taught was shock was a systolic less than 100. Mm-hmm. Or 90. Yeah. Did you ever hear MAP in your paramedic education program? I, I actually did. You did? Yeah. But that's because I had... I, I had really good educators. I mean, many of which we still teach with. Right? Yeah, so, like, I, I mean, I had excellent, excellent yeah. educators. Yeah. They're they're amazing. All that whole program was great. I also was great. had a flight medic. I had a, I had a flight medic who uh, was one of my core instructors who did go into that. So yeah, so they'll take yeah. you a little bit deeper. Yeah, I mean, and anybody can do that. You don't have to be a flight medic to go yeah. deep. But um, the the print the whole thing is to, to kind of like discover. You know, and treat the underlying cause of poor cardiac output and treat it, or hypoxia and treat it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's really it. And you use you use your, your, like your blood pressure to help you do that and help you figure it out. So we dive, you know, we dove into the lecture and and really you see a low blood pressure pop up on your monitor. So you you respond out to X Y Z address, and the person's mm-hmm. you know sitting on the couch and they look they look as white as snow, mm-hmm. and you you're not shocked at all to see the blood pressure of. 70 over 40 yeah pale diaphoretic looking sick yeah man that's low and what it should do instead of going i need to give a bunch of fluids and a bunch of this and do that and do all these things and then hurry up and rush and go to the hospital you need to ask yourself more questions yep right it should prompt you to 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 
to try to answer why does it look that way? Yeah. Instead of going, oop, I found it. Yeah, is it a Let's pump go. issue? Is it a pipe issue? Is, yeah. it a, some, is it a system issue? And when I think system, I think neuro, but yeah. So if you approach that with a technician mindset, what's going to happen? You're probably just going to overload them fluid and take them to the hospital. There you go. Because why? That's protocol says to do. Yeah. Give them some fluid. Maybe if, they're, if they mm-hmm. get sick enough and they stay sick enough long enough and you're close enough or far enough away from the hospital, you can Pressors. initiate a, a vasopressor. Yeah. Right? And even that will be given in a technical way. Very much so. Very prescribed, very regimented, very yeah. rigid, very narrowly regimented way. And, and and here's the thing, and you know, for the folks that are listening that are from, from our region here, it you know, it's 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 that way for a reason. Right? You I mean we're not all Well no, I would argue now it's done well. Right? I mean sure. I mean it's not yeah. like you're not dosing it, you know, micrograms per minute, but you're, <laughs> yeah. it's doing it well. It used to be pretty open-ended. It was like, just open it up and they, until they got a blood pressure, which, I oh, mean, man. they might also have a stroke then. Yes. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's fine because their blood pressure is now 120 instead yeah. of 70, but they a, will never talk again. Was this a fall? Because there's blood coming out of his ear now. Because <laughs> <laughs> their head exploded. Um, and uh, you move – so if we're – if we're trying to move away from a technician level mindset, more of a clinician level mindset, we're asking more questions. We're doing more investigating before we're treating. Now, granted, this has to happen pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to move through this pretty quickly. I mean, you got to be facile with all this. And you have to be on the lookout for, like, cognitive bias. Oh, Analysis, paralysis. That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, or even, like, like ego-based decisions. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm the I'm the hotshot rock star. I'm at the peak of Mount Stupid. Yeah, and I want to give an epi trip. Yeah, man, let's sling it. Yeah. Let's just go for it because yeah. I can, and it's indicated. I can do it. Yeah, or ignore the renal failure in the patient and just flood him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, how about the the slug? I don't know that slug lazy is. slug. Oh. Uh, Oh, I've seen this 45 times. I know what pale, cool, diaphoretic means. Yeah. Here's your aspirin. BLS transport. <laughs> yeah, coming up. That's, yeah. Uh, and they, they really, you know, I'm talking about a slug. Like, they just mail it in. Yeah. They're going to go, you know what? I got them there with IV access, and the pressure's ain't going to do nothing anyway. It's like, well. I still argue that that person was manufactured. They weren't that way. You're 100% correct. Yeah. yeah. People, just go back to that part of the conversation. Human beings, by their nature, and I'm stealing Simon Sinek's stuff now. Human beings, by their nature, respond to the environment that they're in. So if we take mediocre people, and for whatever reason they're that way, and we put them in an environment that demands you know, a more elite level type performance, and we support them to do that, they will become yeah. the elite level performers. Because mm-hmm. we do that all the time. When you hire a brand new paramedic from the street, from whatever service they were in, that service may not be on the same level as the flight agency that they're going to. Mm-hmm. So you have to take this person who is, is at the best of that, of that, uh, 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 what sort of company, mm-hmm. the best there, which may not even be on the same level remotely on the same planet mm-hmm. as that flight agency. And you have to integrate them and build them into a functioning provider at that elite level. Yeah. Right. And, and so you have to put them in the right environment to do that. You can take the most just off the chain, badass provider, uh-huh. super facile with everything, sharp and on point, and put them in the wrong environment, and watch them become the slug. Yeah, because they re- just respond to the environment they were in, and it's not it's not a hundred percent true a hundred percent of the time because there's those folks who are just a little bit more self disciplined, and what they notice is that 
I can't be my, I can't um, realize my full potential uh-huh. in this environment. And so they go looking for the next best thing, mm. right? They don't hang out very long. They, they figure out pretty quick, I don't fit here. Yeah. Your organization is not bad. It's just not for me. Yeah. You know? So uh-huh. I'm going to hit the road. You know what I mean? Or yeah. you can do, you can just like, attract the wrong talent to your environment. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're just not a good fit because they would rather be a slug. Yeah. And they would just rather be cool, chill, laid back. I want to be here to have the t-shirt kind of stuff. I, I, the same goes for educational programs too. Hundred percent. I just, you know that. Yeah, I it's mean, cool to be an educator. Yeah, right. Yeah, you get to stand up front and talk, and generally get paid more money than you do on the street. A lot more. Generally, right? Yeah, a yeah. lot more. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. A uh, lot more. A lot more is to negate the need for overtime. Yeah. 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 Depending on where you work. Yeah, sure. Sure. Some of our folks work in major fire departments that get paid like. A lot of money to work overtime. They're doing well. Well, <laughs> they're they doing were, really well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, back to the map thing. So, yeah, you went. Uh, yeah, where were you in your? Yeah. Oh, so we were talking about like, um, like cognitive biases, analysis paralysis, ego-based decisions. That's where mm-hmm. we were, like yeah, ego-based yeah, yeah. decisions and the technician-clinician mindset thing, and and really, you know, it, it, being on the lookout for those things because mm-hmm. any one of those things could sneak up on us. At mm-hmm. any point, paraly- analysis paralysis could hit me 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning, I've got a bunch of information, and I can't get through it all fast enough. Yep. Or I feel like I need more. So, like, when uh, when you were on the road, or when you're on the road, and you've got that sick patient, and their 12 lead looks like garbage, and their blood pressure looks like garbage, and instead of initiating a treatment, what do you do? Take another, Repeat. You take another Repeat. blood pressure, do another yep. 12 lead, yep. right? Because you're like, I need more information. I would need to make sure that I actually need a cardiovert. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, that's what it is. I'm well prepared for this moment. Yeah. This is what it is. And we're, we're moving forward with this treatment plan. Yeah. I'm always going to take another blood pressure and another 12 lead. I mean, up. dude, I'm not going to lie to you, man. You know I remember I mean? like it was yesterday the first time I cardiovert somebody. And not only was I number one, I'm already going to mark this episode explicit, so I'm just going to say it. I was scared shitless. Yes. Right? I remember like it was yesterday, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to do this thing. I wasn't even a paramedic. I was a CRT. I was brand new, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to press that red button, and this dude's actually got a pulse. You didn't oh. say I get to press the red button finally? No, 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 no. I mean, I uh, you think you're going to say that until you got to do it for the first time. Right. And, dude, I mean, this guy, pale, diaphoretic, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to do it. And I did it. And, I mean, I think I saved the guy's life. I genuinely I mean, the doctor told me I saved the guy's life. But, like, it was a scary moment. You're just pumping your ego. I don't think I repeated the blood pressure that time, <laughs> now that I think about it. But then again, I don't remember much of that call because I, so, I, I was honestly scared of, like, the QA after. But it never happened. Right? It never so happened. That that yeah. perfect I'm so glad you said that and told that story because that goes right into our decision making process. Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna get crucified yeah. if I do this, or I'm yeah. having to. I'm having to color a little bit outside the line here because I didn't exactly give two liters of fluid before I did X, Y, or Z, or I didn't exactly do it this way. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna get crucified by the QA police. So I'm gonna sit and wait until I can line everything correctly, line yeah. up everything correctly, so I don't get flagged for QA instead of just. Being able to I'd be lying. If, I, I'm being completely honest with you. I genuinely was concerned about the QA. Like yeah. in that moment with yeah. a person sick and dying in front of yeah. me, I was genuinely concerned about the yeah. QA. That was one of the le- not for my patient. And that's, 
I never really thought about this until talking about it right now, mm-hmm. but that's a problem. It is a huge problem. It goes it back to it goes back to leadership management. You can have a QA person or or, or a QA officer yeah. that completely destroys the culture of an organization or a base. Yeah. Or the or red or flag something. warrior. Yes. Yeah. They, um, uh, Chief Ludwig, Gary Ludwig, talks about this when he redid Memphis Fire Department. Was it Memphis? Uh, somebody will correct me for that. And yeah. he talked about it like that was one of the big things with the paramedics there that nobody wanted to go on the box because the QA officer was just oh, awful. Yeah. Awful. It was the gotcha police. And it wasn't a coaching tool. It wasn't an improvement tool. It was a it was a, tool, yeah. It was you got this wrong. You did it wrong. You're wrong because I said so. Mm. And, and, you know, every time I did an RSI in the field, I was like, here we go. Yeah. I knew it was going to get QA'd. I knew it was going to get QA'd by, by people who hadn't done it in a few years. Well, because the thing is, in practice, it's a good thing. It should be QA'd. Yeah. But not in the way that it's executed. And I don't think, and to be clear, the people listening, we're not saying there shouldn't be QA. We're saying there shouldn't be punitive QA to the point right. where I'm afraid of doing something. Right, right. And it should be, you know. Especially when it might potentially hit my paycheck. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, taking the demotion or, or even being put on clinical restriction. That's, you know, that's, I would, I mean, demotion that's sucks, awful. but like clinical restriction yeah. and when you still got to work with your peers and, but now you can't do, and to be clear, sometimes it's warranted, but, true, but like true. when it's like punitive and not constructive. Yep. I've only ever seen it once. I've only ever seen a paramedic on clinical restriction. You cannot do X, Y, and Z one time. Mm. One time. Was it like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That person departed the organization. So shortly after that because it was the realization of i'm i'm in the wrong place mm-hmm. i need to go do something else yeah and I, I which know. it's fair yeah like i mean i'll be real with you i'm not in the street full-time anymore yeah like i mean i i really enjoyed it but i also realized that my other life goals did not align like school did not sure. align with a shift work schedule sure and that's but, what you know yeah. back to what we were talking about earlier that's what that, that's what EMS is anymore it's 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 not a for for folks at at your level and as you move up in the professional the professional ladder the the riding the box or riding the riding the QRV or whatever it is it's more of a it becomes a dalliance almost for some of us and yeah. not 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 in your case yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, for some of us for like you know this is something i do to keep my street cred this is something i do to yeah. because i i can still get the reps in on it it's not a primary um, career for a lot of folks anymore. It's a uh, well, yeah, secondary I, I thing. do it because yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't do it because I have to do it. Yeah, um, and yeah, I that's mean, what I, that's, yeah. that's a way better way to say it than yeah. what I just said it. That yeah, came out yeah. like straight dookie. That's fine. It's not like we're gonna edit this. So, <laughs> um, no, but like, I'm with you. So like, nervous. and and I'm and I'm I'm happy that uh, I'm you know that I'm fortunate to have a job where I'm not on the rig 24 seven. Yeah, yeah. And I'm blessed to be able to have that kind of uh, you know. It's a pretty good gig though. Yeah. Oh, I'm blessed, man. I'm yeah. bl- dude, talk about people taking chances. Yeah. A lot of people took a lot of chances for me to be able to do what I do. Uh and still they're taking chances every day. Like not that hasn't ended. Like I you know, I'm always yeah, like they wake no. up every morning sweating bullets. Uh, I hope day, not. Man. Yeah, I hope not. No, but dude, I'm blessed, man. I'm I'm super blessed. Uh but I I still I I, I tell you what, uh working the street is like a drug. Oh yeah. Dude, when you get so, I, I was talking to Ashley about it the other day, man. We were watching Mash. We've been watching Mash, right? And the feel, like they, they got they, they get these moments, uh, Hawkeye and uh, BJ. So like later in the, the, the when they save a kid mm-hmm. in some weird way. Like the last one was like they just uh, uh, the last one we watched was the episode where the, they had like Curry and hemorrhagic fever, 
the it was like an outbreak in their mash. So they're giving, uh, but they were giving. They were told not to give five percent saline, which was like a thing. I didn't. I didn't know that because like I heard like these days hypertonic saline is what two percent. Yeah, two percent. Three year. Yeah. yeah. Two they were giving five for IV fluids, right? And that like, seems like a lot. And these guys are like, <laughs> we should give them less than one percent because right right now it's zero point nine percent. That's normal saline. True. Half normal zero point four five. Right. But. I, that doesn't matter. What I was, what I'm saying is, at the end of the episode, they like save this kid's life, and like they're like ecstatic, right? They're like happy, but like really happy. And I'm telling Ash, I'm like that feeling's real. Like when you slam that tube and you hear that that kid made it out, yeah, right. Like I got two commendations on the wall that I'm damn proud of. Like, but I remember the feeling when that kid walked into the firehouse the first time, and then I remember oh, like yeah. hearing about uh, the older gentleman that we also got. And uh, that's like the highest high you're ever going to get. But the opposite of that is also true. I and re- it's low. It's low. It's super yeah. low. Yeah. And that's the part that I don't miss. Like, I remember my first Miss Tube. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't think about it a lot at one point in my life, you know, mm-hmm. without getting help. Uh, I still remember that. You know what I mean? And like... Uh, those parts, uh, it, that all contributes, along with everything else we've talked about so far, mm-hmm. to it turning into a little bit of a stepping stone. But I would argue that there's a, I would say the majority still treat it as a career. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I yeah. mean, it, it, I think it will always be my career, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll always be looking for that opportunity to get to get on a, get on a box and do it. You're going to get itch. back on a helicopter? It's an itch, huh? You're going to get back on a helicopter? I'd like to. You're going to go to nursing school or no? You know, I haven't figured it out yet, to be Because that's like the pinnacle, Cause right? Because I'm sitting at a, well, it, it depends on, on how you look at it. There's folks yeah. out there that are that are not, they would never consider uh, being in an aircraft. And no, no, I'm talking about like on an aircraft. Because um, are there like primary paramedic aircraft that do, well, see, well, I, I mean, I, like state police. So that's, I mean, that's all paramedics. That's all show. paramedics. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, no. I'm talking about like, I, I don't know, in Texas or wherever, not necessarily Maryland, but like. Uh, back in the day, they ran dual medic aircraft, like okay. way back. But in now the day. it's mainly yeah, nurse. It's all, it's all nurse medic now because of the, so there's some, there's some weird stipulations. Like in, like in Texas, you're not really supposed to run dual nurse. If you're doing scene flights, it's just the way the Texas code is written. Isn't Maryland like that too? Maryland's like that too. Um, Cause like nurses can't function outside the hospital. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, it, it, but it depends on like a lot of the accreditations and whatnot. I haven't gotten yeah. deep, deep in the Comar on, uh, on flight nurses, uh, I, I, to be I, honest yeah, with you. Know, yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's weird licensing things, even though the scope of practice is exactly the same. Is it's it? Just, and I don't know. Yeah, like functionally, they end up doing yeah, the same thing. Medics and nurses uh, in both. So I've flown in, in Texas and in Maryland, and medics and nurses had the exact same, had access to the exact same scope of practice. There was never a point where I went, where I looked up and somebody said, well, I can't do that because uh, yeah. I have to wait for my nurse to is get Is it like a, here. so it end up, ends up being more of like a team function? Absolutely. It's a, it's a, what do you call that? An interdisciplinary type thing. Because on an ICU, the ICU transfer, um, the water line's starting to get up close to my nose. Yeah. Because there's just, like, if there's a bunch of drains and a bunch of just stuff that you don't get exposed to as a paramedic, yeah. you're like, what is this? Bro, let me and tell you what something. I to do with it? I consider myself a, an okay paramedic. Yeah. I, like, I, like, dude, I had no idea 
what I was doing oh, yeah, as yeah. a inner facility paramedic. So funny story. I felt, let me tell you, just tell you something. I, I, one, of the, one of the days I had to go in and shadow a cardiac surgery ICU nurse, mm-hmm. and I witnessed a cannulation and for ECMO. We're about to tell the same story. Bro, I was <laughs> sitting in the corner, and I was genuinely like, what am I watching? I'm mm-hmm. a paramedic. I should get out back in the street outside of the hospital because yep. I don't belong here. Yeah. And I'm watching this nurse who was a genius, and I'm looking at her, and she's just, because it's, like it's like a doc, and then a dock, and then another dock, and then there's like 15 people just in a tornado. And she's in that tornado, and she's like a goddamn angel. She's yeah. just like flowing and doing and stuff. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and I'm just like, man, a couple of weeks ago I was in paramedic school, and now I'm like, yeah. absolutely useless there's like sterile fields there's a perfusionist doing perfusion stuff there's a goddamn machine that's like pumping sure and they only gave him 50 of fentanyl that i was kind of questionable about because he was awake mm. on the whole thing i was like man i'm just a paramedic but that seems wrong but i don't know anything yeah, maybe, maybe he's a trooper you know i don't know uh yeah dude i'll let you tell your story well, but no, that yeah, was I mean, it's almost the exact same like i think i had been cleared as a medic maybe a month and it's been it had been pretty vanilla chest yep. pain respiratory stuff, and uh, first it's the first rattle out of the box that morning, and the pager goes off and it was an ECMO transport vent call. I I I knew how to turn it on, mm-hmm. and I like I knew how to use it, but nobody told me how to like. I'm like, how do I get to the settings? How do I how do you arrive at those numbers? Yeah. Oh, you know, it just depends on what you know what they're on when you get there. Cool, bro. Thanks. Appreciate it. So we go rolling out. They said, hey, you got to take another paramedic. And I'm like, what in that? What are we going into where I have to take another paramedic to pick up a team to go do all yeah. this stuff? Well, it was a dude. It was uh, H1N1. Oh. Was happening. Was it 09? Uh, this was 12, 13. Okay. So 13. Um, and he was, gosh, the cat was young. He was our age. Um, and they were cannulating him for ECMO. So we go, we pick up the team and. We take the vents and all that business and I'll never forget the, I didn't, I thought I'd like, I thought I knew the nurse, but I didn't know the nurse. Uh-huh. And, um, she sticks her head out the door. Uh, we actually, when they were cannulating, I'll rewind it. When they were cannulating, we went downstairs to eat salad and lunch and stuff and, you know, wait. And they, you know, they called us and told us they were ready and we went up there and she goes, Hey, he's on, yeah, he's just t- standard vent settings mean that you need to go in and figure out how tall the guy is. And yeah. So I was like, fourteen four hundred and forty coming up. Sign, you know, put him on the ventilator that way, and it was immediate shit show. It was bad. Like so, there wasn't enough peep in the in the circuit to keep the fluid out of his lungs, so it filled up the circuit. It was bad. Oh god! And she just was cool as cool as ice. Yeah. Unhook stuff, dials it in. She goes, "Hey, you good now?" I was like, "Yes, ma'am. All set. Can we go now, please?" Yeah. (laughs) And so we load the guy up. And I remember I was sitting in that airway chair, and there was a perfusionist and a nurse, and maybe there was one more person there. Oh, the other paramedic. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're talking things and doing stuff, and there's IV trees and drips and stuff going on. And I'm like, I have, I'm so lost right now. Yeah. I have no, I have no idea what's yeah. happening in the back of my ambulance right now. Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. And I hated that feeling. I hated it. Oh yeah. Oh, I it's hated a terrible it. feeling. When we got when we got done with that call, 
and it turns out the uh, the nurse and I were in the were in the army together. We trained together, oh, and cool. AIT was crazy. I was like, it's a super small world, and um, now she's the chief flight nurse lady clinical person for Travis County Starfleet. We should get her on the podcast. You should definitely look up Ashley Levy. No, no, no. You should call her and be like, hey, remember that guy you trained with that also screwed the pooch on that one ECMO call? Yeah. You should come on a podcast with me. There's, there's a couple other ways she might she might remember me. Oh. Howling to the moon in San Antonio. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. It's good days. You only go up from there. <laughs> truth. That's the truth. So we, uh, so I got done with that call and, um, I remember packing up the vent, and I swore I was like, I will never feel that way again. Yeah. That was it. I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm just a paramedic nonsense. And it lit a fire under me. I was like, I will never be the stupidest guy in the room yeah. ever again. Yeah. That's because that's how I felt. I was like, oh, dang, dang, trying to be the stupidest paramedic on my own truck again. Oh, I was definitely the dumbest person in that room. I'm like, I can't. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I'll never do that again. And, I, it, you know, I had a lot of great folks that were there, too. Yeah, my team, the, the 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 other medics that were around me, we were all about the same age too. Uh, there were some there were some other older folks there, but we were all right about the same age, and it was just you knew when you went in the day room that day that it was gonna be it was gonna be a day. Yeah, because it was somebody was gonna ask a question, somebody was gonna pimp you, punk yeah. you, stump the chump, whatever it was gonna be, and you had to be ready. Yeah, and that's just how we kept each other ready, how we kept the edge sharp, and they're all they're all off doing great things now. I mean, there were there were some real hitters. I was really fortunate to work with those guys. Yeah, there. Um, we should uh, get all of them on the podcast. No, every one of them, every one of them. That sounds like a whole season. They all they all probably have a stupid Cody story. I'm not even sure we do but, seasons here, but I'm okay with it. We tried it once. Now yeah. I now we just kind of publish as it comes. Sure. By when I get time. Long format rambling. Well, this time I'm not editing. Just I'm just gonna mark it. I'm just gonna mark it explicit. I don't think we've ever done anything like this before. Did you know that in every, almost every setting, regardless of what it was that I've ever been in, I've always come with an, with an explicit warning. I've always come with a label. There was a trauma, a, uh, uh, what was it? The trauma PI committee or something like that. And the, the committee chair, uh, lady, she would, she would say, okay, now it's time for EMS to come up and give their report. Hey, I have to warn everybody. He slips every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> like I was talking to the 700 club. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he he's he uses curse words on occasion. We should right. talk about map eventually. That was a great lecture. It was. And but I think like what um I think what made it so great was one that like like what we've been talking about, the ex- mm-hmm. the the exposure that we've had to the in in the industry mm-hmm. and and in different uh, the different settings that you and I have both been in, and you see it a lot from a from a from a regulatory perspective, mm-hmm. and I was seeing it a lot from a from a leadership management perspective. But we both have the clinical perspective at the same time, yeah. and we know we knew what those students are walking into, yeah. You know, and and our program director sets us up amazingly to give us the latitude to teach the way that we did, yeah. And well, because I ended up, you had a PowerPoint, I just whiteboarded, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. it was it was a great discussion, and it yeah. wasn't like, hey, let's get up there and talk about everything we know about the carbonic acid and, yeah. and the formulas and this, that, and everything. It's like, no, guys, this is how these are applied. Yeah. So you don't have to go back and teach yourself the way we had to. Yeah. Because you know? when because uh, you continued with like your powerpoints and stuff, and then uh, what I ended up doing, I started with a metaphor. Do you remember? Like I started with a car metaphor. I said, uh, did, "How many of you drove to class today?" 
right? And be, just because I didn't want to be that guy that like talks to somebody who didn't, right? Whatever someone's circumstances are. And then I was like, when you were driving here, right, you had your car. Your car has certain consumables that you have to put in your car. And if your car doesn't work, like have those things, it's not going to work. Right. One of those things is gas, right? right? And then I was like, if you don't put gas in your car, what's going to happen? Right. And they were like, whatever, you know, and then I, I think I think said something about oil or whatever. And I was like, all right, so what's the fuel that got you here, your body? And they said food. Right. And then that's when I went to like, like paramedics. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's always food. Yeah. But like, you know, then, then I went into, um, uh, acid base a little bit before transitioning to cardiac output. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, uh, talking about, uh, you know, stroke volume and heart rate. Right. And then mm-hmm. di- diving into, um, you know, what, uh, what are the components of stroke volume, right? right. What, uh, you know, the controls of heart rate and stuff like that. And I think what really helped is your lecture kind of dove into like, for lack of a better term, the technical physiology. Yeah. Right. Like the map is king kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Whereas I took it uh, from like, I guess the opposite of approach of mm-hmm. like d- building, building up. I think mm-hmm. you built down, I built up and we ended up creating this like cool concept for them. Yeah. And I think we validated it at the end by like verifying their knowledge and they actually understood, right? They did. Because I think one of, I think I would agree, I would say, I think I'm sure you would agree is uh, the goal was to have them understand that um, the, and I think it's a good concept to understand period, the integration of physiological systems. Yeah. And we gave them what, so I think we pulled up one, so we gave them like four different ways to differentiate shock. Yep. You know, and that was the yeah. point. I'm like, look, I'm not going to just give you this one slide that has all of the different parameters for each individual kind of mm-hmm. shock. And you try to commit that to memory and then try to be able to, and we have an expectation that you can access that under stress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so, so the first concept that we, that we switched for them was to quit trying to put a patient inside a box yeah. and go looking for, assume that it's there, assume mm-hmm. that there, there's a shock syndrome there yeah. and go find it. And yeah. rule it in or rule it out. And I think I started with uh, Dr. Matu's um, shock acronym. Oh yeah, right? yeah. You should you should talk about that. That's a good one. It, well, he has like a it's like a 15 minute um, YouTube video that I robbed, totally robbed it. I modified it a little I'm bit. I'm totally because okay with that. I just give him credit, but I'm okay with robbing as long as I give credit. I modified it for things that we can look for in the field. Um, to a, to a degree, depending on what you know, what your service looks like and stuff like that, and like the so shock was an acronym S H O C K, and the first shock that you're looking for is septic or spinal shock, right? Mm-hmm. So go looking for it, find a source of infection, or find a mechanism of injury that would you know lead you to believe that the spinal cord has been transected for whatever reason or some way, and then boom, either it's there or it's not. Move on to the next one, which would be uh, hemorrhagic or hypovolemic shock. Again, kind of maybe, kind of obvious. If it's mm-hmm. hemorrhagic shock, maybe or maybe not. Yeah. It could be an occult lead that we just missed. Or could something be on like the inside. That. You may but, know. Yeah, but go look for it. Yeah, rule it in, rule it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hypovolemic, same thing. Go look for it, rule it in, rule it out. Uh, obstructive shock, look for it. Look for the pneumos. Look for that. St- look for tamponades. Rule it in, rule it out. Move yeah. on. Yeah. Um, cardiogenic, same story. And then the the K's were kind of crazy because there's not a lot of K shocks out there, but there was endocrine with a K mm-hmm. and. Um, even even Matu says that that's a little bit of an outlier but yeah sure yeah but but go looking for those right so let's let's get away from okay they meet this they they meet a b c and d and so it has to be this shock 
yeah. and, but work backwards. Yeah. Find it, find the, find a, the physiologic abnormality mm-hmm. and then go and assume that it's septic and then rule it in, rule it out. Yeah. Does that make, that, yeah. No, yeah, that yeah. makes absolute sense. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, so we're using a blood pressure as an indicator to do that. Um, to a degree, to to start teeing up that conversation. Well, what is it? And, and it's diving into what's the blood pressure actually telling us. Mm-hmm. You know, what is our systolic telling us? Is more of a more of a measure of contractility. Mm-hmm. And what's our diastolic telling us? Which is more uh, vascular tone mm-hmm. and things like that. And that's why we talk about the map is king. That's where that mm-hmm. that's where that came from. Yeah. Um, the map is the most important thing. Your systolic blood pressure doesn't tell you a whole lot in isolation. In yeah. isolation, it's it's mostly a measure of contractility. Yeah. The diastolic is, if for all intents and purposes, almost ignored. Mm-hmm. And, and the, it, you can just put 90 over palp and mm-hmm. go, well, you don't know what you don't know right at this point. Yeah. If, you, if that's all you're getting. I mean, they're, yeah. they're really sick. That means there's not a lot of vascular tone there to get your yeah. diastolic um, uh, number. And we know that if you're calculating a map, if the, if the diastolic is two-thirds of that equation, it's probably pretty important, right? Mm-hmm. That's your filling yeah. pressure. No fill, no flow, right? Yeah. And and so we kept it we kept it going, and we 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 basically we threw on. Um, I'm gonna cheat and look at my notes. That's that's fine. Yeah. And I got the we, only note I need right here next to me too. So, so what we did if we put if we put it in terms of SVR or vascular tone, vascular mm-hmm. resistance, and SVR is either gonna be high or low, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And then how close are my numbers? How close is my systolic to my diastolic? The narrow, mm-hmm. so we're talking about pulse pressure and mm-hmm. how close are they? So if it's a narrow pulse pressure with a high SVR, so I know that I've got good vascular tone, but I don't have really great contractility. And, okay, so what are those things that give me good vascular tone but, but don't, um, don't give me good contractility? Well, cardiogenic shock, yep. that comes to mind, right? If I don't have enough fluid for good preload and I'm not getting good stretch, I'm not going to have great contractility, right? Mm-hmm. So let's put hypovolemic on that list. Um, or obstructive shock. Mm-hmm. Something's keeping the heart physically from, from beating the way that it's supposed to. So I'm going to have good vascular tone, but I'm going to have poor pump function with yep. that one. Um, and then we go just the opposite. So I, have a, I can have a wide pulse pressure yeah. and a low SVR. So that means that my systolic pressure might be somewhat okay. It's going to be low. But my diastolic is going to be way low. Yeah. Super low. And you, we further um, subdivide that into tachycardic or not tachycardic. So mm-hmm. do they have a wide pulse pressure, low SVR with tachycardia? We're thinking about um, sepsis, anaphylaxis. Um, if it's a wide pulse pressure, low SVR with no tachycardia, well, what are the what are the shocks that don't have tachycardia? Yeah, and and let's let's keep the outliers like well they're beta blockaded they're yeah, beta yeah. blocked and stuff like that out of it, and that's going to be neurogenic. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one way that we can use a blood pressure to help us figure out okay what the heck's going on here? Yeah, am I going to miss? Am I going to go go a septic shock route with this person when it's actually cardiogenic because I just looked at a number and looked at a bag of meds and went oh mm-hmm. well, it's got to be this yeah. Um, and so that's uh did we use I think I used one more way, didn't I? Oh, I talked about functional heuristics. Oh god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think I'll be completely honest with you, like uh 
I think I might have Googled heuristics when you did that. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I was like, brain fart. Uh, what does that mean? But yeah, no, go, yeah, go over that. So they're, I mean, really. I definitely Googled it. Like I was at the computer at the front Googling heuristics. It's like a mental it. shortcut you build for yourself. That's sort of heuristic is. And so I see this plus this and it, it's going to be that. So like we were talking about wide pulse pressure, low SVR, that's going to be a distributive shock, a warm shock. Mm-hmm. If it's a narrow pulse pressure with a high SVR, it's a cold shock. So it's going to be a hypovolemic cardiogenic or obstructive Don't shock. Don't they hate those terms now? Which a warm shock, cold yeah. shock, probably. Some academic some is having a stroke right now. I feel like I have a physician tell me that, but okay. Right. But, but Fair enough. Makes sense, we, though. Yeah, makes and, sense. And my, my, um, my counter to that would be, do we or do we not use skin temperature yeah, as, a, as an indicator for shock? Yeah. Right, yeah. not a rule in, or at least out. a rectal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you had to take it there. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I you had to take, take it there. Um, other things that can tell you we that we don't you're, do tympanic temps <laughs> here, sir. We don't use random number generators. We go straight <laughs> to the source. Um, the other thing that we used um, entitled CO two. Mm, yeah. All the rage mm-hmm. these days. If you're not using it, you're not in the cool kids club. Actually, yeah. you're probably not in any clubs at all if you're not using it. Yeah, probably these days. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if your respiratory rate is somewhat normal, like you have no other reason for that entitled CO2 to be low and not to um, counter anything that, you know, uh, Eric Bauer has put out or anything like that. But if that, that respiratory rate is is within normal limits and mm-hmm. that entitled still low, you need to start with the assumption that you have a cardiac output And problem. that's why I, when I picked it up from you, I started with like the fuel conversation and the metabolism conversation yeah. because then that, yeah, because yeah. I, again, we were doing this cold, so I don't remember all the details. <laughs> we were ice cold. Yeah. But then I started with the metabolism thing. Yeah, that's why I started with that because then I uh, went into the uh, the equation map equals cardiac output times total uh, peripheral resistance, right? Peripheral mm-hmm. vascular resistance. And then I took it a little bit of a different way. Um, I mean, saying the same things though right so like i just drew arrows next to the different variables right so yep. i said if cardiac output goes down then it's probably a pump failure right, right. if uh p- total peripheral vascular resistance goes down then there's you know it's all these other things and then um and i think the the bridge that we created um not the bridge the we kind of gave them a set of tools right. so certain students are more like I, for lack of a better term, math heavy, right? They might like the equation method better, sure. whereas you know you you went about it a different way. Yeah, yeah. Some people like acronyms. Some people want want to conceptualize it differently, yeah. i.e., SVR and and pulse or pressure. car metaphors uh, or car metaphors. So yeah. we gave them what four or five different ways yeah. to, to think about this. And it was helpful to have the program director there, I think, too. Like, oh, we were on our own, bro. No, he definitely came in. Was he? Yeah, he, he came in. Yeah, he came in during mine. He came in at the tail oh, end of yours, and they came in. He sure did. He sure did. Yeah, yeah. I take it back. He yeah, was there because then he talked to us about how uh, he liked how we did it. It was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, but I mean, after all of that, the the, the really the key, whatever whatever you discover, the key is to find the underlying cause and fix it. Oh yeah, that's the if you can, if, yeah. if you can. But hopefully, you you can work through that um, that whole a method to figure out what shock you're dealing with and get away from this this mentality of systolic doesn't matter yeah or systolic blood pressure is my resuscitative endpoint and it's not yeah or any parameter for that matter any single parameter yeah i mean i I always call it like the clinical umbrella right Uh, like you know you got all of your vital signs create a i mean clinical impression clinical umbrella right or mm -hmm. like and from that you create a, a good differential 
Yeah. And then you start treating. Yep. Right? Uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it when people say EMS doesn't diagnose. Bullshit. Right? Mm. Yes, I'm not clinically charting with an ICD-10 code what's right. in their diagnosis. Sure. But I damn well am doing some critical thinking when it's me by myself at 2 in the morning and I got a person who's not breathing. We can call it a field impression if you want to. But it's yeah. a, it's no, a I call working, it a diagnosis. It's a working diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I call it a diagnosis. And, I mean, semantics at this point. Yeah. Right? It's, um, and I'll happily debate anybody. They can come on the show. I'll debate let's them. Let's get them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, there. I'm willing to learn. I, I am willing to learn from somebody that has a different perspective than me. Yeah, that's how that's how um, that's how they've been doing it since the ancient times. That's how philosophy happened, right? Socrates oh, yeah. asking questions and we should have challenge more. my thoughts. We should have more conversations like this. I, I Pro- don't know. Somebody probably had a wreck on the way to work already, falling asleep listening to our sultry voices. We're at two hours and ten minutes. Are we really? Yeah. This is awesome. Is this going to be like how long can we go? As long as we want. Yeah. I'll do it. The long one. That's what yeah. we call it. The longest day. I the mean, longest yard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is kind of cool. Uh, that this is definitely different. I'm digging it. This is a different format than we've done before. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's uh, not to say the academic stuff is is drier and important or anything like that. But some no. folks, hey, let's just well, let's just have a conversation talk casually about it. Yeah, I think that was one of the well though. I think it would be cool to make like a cool series of like video, YouTube videos. Definitely. But again, this is a face for radio. No, no, no. Like our face wouldn't be on it. It would oh, just be perfect. like, it'd be like the Khan Academy. Oh, that whiteboarding thing you showed me. Yeah. Yeah. But then I also need the discipline to sit down and do it. You've got it. Yeah. You've got it. You I'm keep too, saying you don't, you won't have it, but you got it. I keep, I'm too busy going on. The cat's going to be on the counter again. Look at that. That dude's crazy. I think it's part fox. <laughs> that tail, definitely part fox, dude. <laughs> yeah. For real. Pet EMS. That's an emerging market. EMS pets. No, no, pet EMS. Like oh, somebody like, calls nine one for my cat. My daughter would be all over it. Because they swallowed something. Yeah, my daughter would be all over Dude, it. Dude, field echoes for cats. Dude. I bet that's a lucrative market. I wish y'all could have seen the look I just gave him. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> Never mind, I'm back in. <laughs> I'm in. You can you can only do it in like the Hamptons though. Is that I'm a rich in. part of California? What's a rich part the of Hamptons? Texas? Yeah. The rich part of Texas? Oh man, that's uh the west side of Austin. The west, west of Austin, yeah. Hey Ash. Lake Lake Travis. Can you uh I think he's eating the sink again. I'm trying to remember the name of the the area, but it's like Lake Travis, West Western Austin. That's a pretty affluent area. Yeah, we um, should do that. You've got the... Uh, Petty MS. There? There's a spot in Houston. Of course, Dallas, Plano, all that. All those areas I are guarantee pretty... Uh, there's got to be... There has to be a animal ambulance out there. I know there's horse ambulances. For cool. like really expensive... Uh, uh, what? Really expensive horses. <laughs> Don't say it. We're not that explicit here. <laughs> I'll be good. Um... Oh man, I had a good one too for that. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> I had a good one. No, but like, uh, no, that's got to be a thing. Canine, canine care, that's a real thing. Sure, Teacher will see. There's a whole like, day for that. You're, you're not in the cool tactical EMS world if you don't do no, a canine EMS. Well, a also, canine I'm, tactical care course. I, that ain't my job. Yeah, yeah, nope. That talk about proper training. I think you know, we talked about that the other night. Yeah, in in class, 
There needs to be a lot of training. Uh, there was a. I just saw this picture, and um, that was that was floating around on uh, Instagram. It's a couple of couple of medics, all tactical,ed out, black vest, white t-shirts on underneath. Were they also five hundred pounds? Uh, close. And one of the uh, one of the individuals was using his uh, the intubating paramedic in a tactical situation. So one paramedic is intubating. And the uh, with his goggles on and helmet and all this other nonsense, and he's going to intubate the patient while his buddy, his partner, is um, using his using his ass as a supported firing position with his pistol. So his partner is his cover and concealment. The intubator is the cover. Is the basically a big human sandbag? Oof. I'm not making the, this up, the, dude. Listen. I- Listen, I'm not a. I don't know anything about anything. Okay, that seems incorrect. Um, it seems incorrect. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll be the first one to say like I, I'm not dogging anybody that does it for real, but I think there's a lot of people that want to be tactical medics until it's time to be a tactical medic. There it is. That's not a real photo, though. That's a photo, bro. And this was posted by uh, the resuscitationist. So if you guys are not following him on Instagram, yeah, but to be you fair, really should be. But to be fair, they're saying it's wrong. Like there's wrong on the thing. Like oh, it's not 100%. the resuscita- resuscitationist doing this thing. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. yeah. It's a picture I just want to clarify because we, we do have an international audience. So, we do. Yeah. Somehow. We do. We do. Yes, yeah, so I just You wanna... do. We don't. I'm just, you're on. I'm, you're just part a, of the team. I'm just a schmuck. No, you're on the team. You're they're all, the they're team. all your listens. Ooh, you want some chocolate milk? That looks, no, that looks no, good. No, no, no. I think it was some job. Hey, Ash. Can you um, No, because I'm the, I'm the first one to say that I'm not in shape. And to, I feel like to do that, you got to be in shape. Oh, or just smart. But you definitely, tactical athletics are, um, Bro, are a thing. I feel like you got to be athletic yes, and in shape. Certainly. To be a tactical medic. Um, yeah, like if someone if you're like dragging a body out, well, um, yes, yes, I, I don't, I, I 100% agree with uh, with with that statement. Um, are, you, are you gonna have a? Is it impossible to do it without being a tactical athlete? Yeah, I mean, no, it's not no, impossible. Not. Just it's gonna be a lot harder than it needs to be. Well, my thing is this first, especially like the first time. Yeah. Right. So like I took my t- I took a TCCC class with um, C stars here, and the last day was like a paintball exercise. Oh yeah, and I have never been shot at the old smoke fest by anything before. Yeah. And then I was hit getting hit by paintballs in the face, not in the face, in the head really. Yeah, because we had the mask on, but this one guy was able to just snake stuff over my mask onto my head. One hit like straight dead center. It was probably one of the worst things that like it hurt. I bet that hurt. It hurt a lot. Yeah. But then they had like these speakers set up that have just like war sounds. It's right? probably Black Hawk Down scenes like it usually is. And like, I'm like, it was kind of crazy to me. And I'm yeah. like, I'm not trained to be in this scenario. Right. <laughs> and I, then I, I'm like, Damn, Wait a minute. you went to the TC3 course. Yeah. You're trained now. Yeah, okay. You're able to operate. Well, my thing is, like, it was great because we, like we had, like, a DO with us who was, like, a, a DO and a few other, like, um, they weren't all Air Force. I, I, I don't want to say where they were from because I'm not trying sure. to blow their spot up. But, right. like, um, 
also I'm not trying to ruin my chances of going to future classes. <laughs> but like um she she asked one of the instructors, like, Can you give us like a like an operator one on one course before we get messed up? Because the instructors were the ones that were like Oh no. Against us. So your the entire instructor cadre was op for against Yes. Not the entire because some like, of whom had never probably held a weapon in their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so God. like the lead instructors not the lead, but the people that taught the course were evaluating. But yeah. then there was other instructors that were the op four. And they Sick. were all the all of them were jacked and like were like actual like this was like their active duty station. Yeah. Shock trauma was. So I'm like they're all jacked. And then the one guy was like, I was like, before we did this thing in class, I was like, how did you get to like what you do? Mm-hmm. And he just rattled through these things that I, a lot of them were acronyms I didn't understand, but somewhere he was like, I went through like the special forces pipeline. I'm like, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, the guy was jacked. Sure. And he was also the coolest dude ever. And he knew his medicine. There you go. That, and um, he, he was just watching us, but these other guys like mess us up. But even in that artificial scenario, I'm like, I'm completely screwed if I was actually getting shot at because I haven't built the mental processes to deal with these stresses. What, um, this is a good conversation to have. So what, what, uh, what held you up? What was it? Was it like, were you in your head of like, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing or you're, are you, is your body not doing what you need it to do? Like, oh my God, I'm under so much stress. My hands don't work. So in the beginning it was, I don't know what the right action is. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember one particular scene. One of the Air Force girls just would not shoot. Mm. I, I didn't get that part. And then, like, I'm – and I did not – I also did not have trigger discipline, so I might have ran out of all of my ammunition within the first, like, five minutes. <laughs> so, so I don't have any ammo. My buddy, Joe, uh, does not have any ammo. Or maybe he did have ammo, but then this person's next to him, and she's just not shooting. So you guys were out of the best medicine on the battlefield, pretty much. Well, I just want you to understand that the first day, the person, the lead instructor instructor was like, what's the first thing you do when you get shot? And I did not say the right answer, which was shoot back. Or not get shot. What was it? When someone shoots you, or if your buddy gets shot, or like what you do first. I think I said airway, or no. Yeah, I said airway. Probably. Or mental status. She's like, no, you shoot back. And I'm like... This is not my environment, ma'am. I'm Check. sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. You but, don't um, stage and wait for PD like we're supposed to? Yeah. You get to shoot back? Cool. Uh, but like, um, yeah, no, like the whole thing was, I, I would go back to what, I think the biggest was I didn't really understand what to do. But then it was truly like, how do you manage both priorities? The tactical situation and the yeah. medical situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the point of the class that they tell Absolutely. you just like, just fix the basics and move them out. It's the right medicine at the right time. But like, it's completely different doing it in a classroom versus like actually doing it when you, even if it's completely fake, it's just paintball rounds. Mm -hmm. They still hurt. Mm -hmm. But like paintball rounds with all the stimulus, it's still very, it's hot. You're sweating. Yeah. You're tired. You're in your head. Like you don't want to look stupid in front of the instructor staff. And and I kind of got to that point where I was like, man, I never want to be this guy again, but of course I don't have the pathway to go be, you know, do that stuff. But like, 
You mean to tell me that you can't just take a TC3 course and be a tactical medic? No, no, no. It's I mean, not that easy? No, I mean, like, uh, well, of course not, yeah. But, like, I mean, like, go learn to be, you know, like, how you were talking about, like, how you don't want to be the dumbest guy in the room again. Sure, sure. I wanted yeah. to, I, would, I had a thought in my head, like, I want to learn how to do this stuff, but then I quickly realized that is not my world. Yeah. That was, like, a split well, second. I think thing. there's a difference between being an operator on an entry team, on a SWAT team, or a... HRT or whatever they're called out there nowadays or on a, uh, what do they call those, the rescue task force, warm zone yeah. type stuff. There's a difference between that and taking a class so that you know, you know, kind of a little bit about what to do or what to expect yeah. if you find yourself in that situation. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, tactical medic or not, you, a school shooting is a, is oh yeah is, a, is that situation. Yeah. And so at least you know, right? Like, yeah. okay, this is how it's going to be for me yeah. when I get there. Yeah. And... And so, in that respect, I think it's, I mean, keep going, you know, keep doing them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep doing them, you know. Don't get me wrong. The training was fantastic. And, like, from a clinical perspective, it's great. But it was also eye-opening to see what these folks were going to go into. Sure, yeah. And I don't know what they were going to do. They might have been med techs somewhere at a hospital in Afghanistan. I don't know. But they could have been the real deal, too. Not not that the other is not the real deal. You know what I mean. Yeah. Like, in terms of the perceived threats that we were being shown sure you know the, sure. the real version of that yeah there's a difference between f- fighting chechen terrorists and a school shooter yeah yeah I see, I see what you're saying yeah yeah absolutely like in a field somewhere versus like there's cops in the building and you got to go back you know behind them yeah yeah it's not as complicated that way well i don't know i wouldn't know either way <laughs> I also think that teachable C should be taught by people that are actually like the real deal. Sure, sure. Yeah. You get but, my brother on the podcast. He'll he's got some thoughts. We should on that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're not gonna put my you're not gonna see me put my name down for that slot <laughs> in the schedule. <laughs> like, you got some yeah. physiology stuff. I'm good, but like, yeah. you're gonna need to slot three or four hours. That dude will talk a little bit, but that's fine. I mean, we're creeping up on that's it. Alabama anyway. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. April. April, yes. He'll be there in April. Yeah. I, I would actually love to do that. We're going to need a chaperone anyway, because last time we were in Alabama together, we got a fight in the water. Oh, am I the chaperone? Yeah. You're going to have to play babysitter. Have you heard of the term, judge your battle by your allies? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just warning you. Uh, Alabama. Yeah. What's it called again? Orange Beach. No, 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 the, the conference. Oh, CCTMC, Critical oh. Care Transport Medicine Conference. CCTMC? Yep. Conference. You sure it's not virtual this year? I'm 100% sure. You're 100% sure? Yeah. How are you 100% sure? Because it was live last year. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, we were, it, it, well, they haven't canceled it yet. Call the speakers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh damn! It's it's closed. Oh, you missed it. Not for me. For you. No, 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 no. I would register for this. Um. I do. I do better talking in front of people that don't. Wait, know. I'm not a member though. I'm gonna pay four. Are you a member? I'm a member. Why aren't you a member? If you are a member, I didn't, I didn't know this. Your thing. listeners aren't a member. You got to go sign up and be a member of the IAFCCP. What is that? The International Association of Flight and Critical Care Paramedics. There's all kinds of international associations. Yeah. I mean, you get, uh, let's see, you get the Air Medical Journal for free, which okay. is a really good journal. Really, really good journal. Peer-reviewed stuff. Really good stuff. 
Okay. Um, you get uh, you get off you know some uh, some cabbage off of every conference. Almost all of the big ones. Uh, actually, actually, I think it's all of the big ones that you get a discount for, and they have they sponsor. How much is uh, membership? Critical care track like seventy five bucks. Nothing. Oh really? That's not bad. Yeah. Seventy five bucks, and you know you're. April eleventh yeah. to April thirteenth. Yeah. It's cool. Like it starts at like uh, one o'clock on Monday, and so you got Monday morning to kind of chill and go to the beach and hang out and stuff. And then, dude, there's you know, a lot of big names on here. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, the the this conference, it, you know, it changed um, a lot of the, a lot of things for me, and just being exposed to like the hitters, the real clinical hitters, some of the real clinical hitters of the industry. It, it's man so worth it three bills is three bills puts you two three years ahead of your peers Brock jenkins yeah i don't know why does that name sound familiar he's doing an ultrasound course yeah yeah i don't know who that is um but then again like i'm kind of in this bubble where i'm just looking through is oh like look at this is the lucas device better than main this is all really good yep and it's not all just flight stuff. It's ground stuff. It's it's uh, air stuff, ground stuff, fixed wing rotor. Um, they talk more clinical concepts than they do. Um, this is my airframe, and this is why it's cool. Cryptic shock, the silent killer. There it is. Crystal king, crystal Cheyenne king. Dude, I think I might actually go to this. And you're 100% gone. <laughs> yeah. That's not it. It goes without saying. Perdido Beach Resort. Yeah. So you can just book the hotel here. Right. Right. I get on it early last year. I didn't get on it early enough, so I was about a quarter mile down the road. It's the Devil's Highway. Is early, is it, what's early? Is it right now early? Yeah. Well, early enough that they don't run out of slots. So, <laughs> um. I'm going to just do the hotel thing right now. Departure date. Check availability. Two guests or one guest? I don't know. She's going. She's going. She. I just want to see her look. She's 100% going. Uh, 159 a night. That's not bad at all. No. That's a queen room, though, bro. You'd be okay with a queen? I need a king room. Come on, man. Bro. I ain't, <laughs> I ain't sleeping no queen. <laughs> That's probably the statement that's going to get me the most judged out of this whole podcast. I bet people aren't even listening right now. Uh, yeah, I could probably do that. Am I okay with a partial beach view? No. I mean, that's all they got. Oh, so they got you on the side. Yeah. Mm. That's a shame. Uh... While Moose is doing this, everybody else should be logging on to CC. What is the address there? CCTMC dot what? I just Googled. Uh, stand by. What did I Google? We should probably finish this up here soon. Yeah. CCTMC dot net. Yep. Get on there and check it out. If you haven't been to that conference, you will not regret it. Yeah. If you've been already, you're you're going to be impressed again. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close this out. Hey, what's your leadership thing? You got a page. No, I used to. I, uh, <laughs> what yeah. happened? 
uh, you know, I, I got I got to where I didn't want to be uh, just more noise out there in the in the space of, yeah, of Instagram and social media and hey, this is these are these are my thoughts on leadership, you know, out there. Hey, come look at me. I didn't. I, I decided I was like, you know what? I don't. I don't want to turn it into that because I had it was called, it was called the Black Diamond Project, right? Mm. Because thinking that uh, leadership is is like the triple black diamond trail that you can take in any career. It's the most difficult trail. What's so, what's the diamond trail? I don't know what that means. Uh, have you ever been skiing? No. And so when you go skiing, this is a, not a body of skiing. There's a great. <laughs> there's a there's a graded um, system for the difficulty of the trails. And black diamond trails are, you need to be, you need to know what you're doing. Double black diamond trails are experts. And then there's out there, there's a new designation of triple black diamond uh, trails. And it's experts only. I actually have a, I have a double black diamond placard in my office for experts only. And experts only is like a, a motivational thing for me. It's like, hey, to do what you do, to be great at what you do, it's experts only. You can't, you can't get into leadership as a, as a novice. You know, and expect yeah. to do well, expect to not have any wrecks, you know. So just it's to keep that, you know, kind of keep that taste of blood in the back of your back of your mouth, you know, back of your throat kind of thing. Are you a skier? No. I've never, <laughs> How'd you get I've into never, the I've never been skiing How'd in my you life. get into the skiing? <laughs> because it worked, you know. That's it fair. Worked. Hey, it worked. Yeah. And so the Black Diamond Project was, was I I'd started out just kind of putting some of my thoughts and proclivities about leadership and management out there. And I think I threw a couple articles up on LinkedIn and, you know, was, I was branding it all under the Black Diamond Project. And um, I was like, this, you know, the last thing that that social media needs is another another person just repackaging the same concepts over and over again. Are you repackaging? Because you know? it's really hard to see something new. So I went to a, where was I? Oh, he spoke at Pinnacle and he spoke at AMTC. And it was a general um, that did the keynote for it and he said you know if you do a, an amazon search for leadership books you're going to get something like 1.7 million results mm. there's nothing new out there yeah it's really hard to figure to find something new and if you read enough of it and you study enough of it um they they're all saying the same thing but it's either contextually different and applied differently or it's just reworded yeah or it it's it's um you know, you could take a Fortune 500 company's uh, CEO's strategy book of this is how, like a like a Jeff Imel, this is how I save or did GE during the war years, and you could put it right up against Jocko's um, extreme ownership, and you're going to see stuff like teamwork, cover and move, uh, communication, simple. Um, uh, oh, what's what, what is it? Uh, Man, I'm getting trouble for not knowing the four laws of combat. Uh, uh, the books over there. Yeah, uh, you know, decentralized command, uh, empowering your your subordinate leaders to do what they need to do. You know, so there's there's all kinds of uh, parallels that, that, and they all they're all saying basically the same things. You know, yeah. even when I was so my bachelor's degree is in leadership, and it's, really, yeah, that's cool. it's it's all the same. You get a stuff. leadership bachelor's degree? Yeah, man. Where'd you get that from? The military. Ashford, Ashford University. Oh, I got my first exposure to leadership in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and that's kind of what started me on that path because I, I believe in formal 
being formally educated. You can't, again, you can't do this uh, kind of shooting from the hip. I've been doing this for 15 years, so therefore I'm going to be a good leader. Yeah. And then you say, hey, I need a strategic plan for how you want to implement mm. X, Y, Z. And they go, huh? Yeah, you can't, you can't execute the actual fundamentals. Right. So there's some fundamentals that you have to know. And I'm not saying you got to go and get a bachelor's degree yeah. to know what you're doing or an MBA even to know what you're doing. But uh, that's this. It's just the. I wanted to do something non-clinical. Yeah. But I wanted to do something that was going to support my career later. So I landed on a on a BA in uh, business leadership, and it talks about all the same stuff. Yeah. It's all the same stuff, except it's actually the um, the 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 original elements yeah. of it. You know. Um, I'm reading a book right now. Um, so I got in. Uh, I think I was telling you before, but I got into. Uh, program and one of the books we're reading is uh the gray rhino mm-hmm. and it talks about um and it's probably a conversation for another thing because we're at two thirty two hours 34 minutes but um um the gray rhino. so you have the black swan event which is a super rare highly damaging event right you have the elephant in the room which is the obvious thing that nobody wants to talk about hmm. so the combination of that is the gray rhino which is the obvious thing that nobody wants to talk about that's going to be catastrophic Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a really good book. You could only well, like you can, can't you like only predict the Black Swan event in retrospect. Yeah, it, yeah. So like, the Black you can't, Swan, you, you can't never predict. see it coming. Yeah, you, but you could see it coming looking back. Yeah, yeah. But the the elephant in the room, everyone can predict. Oh sure. And the gray rhino is the thing that everyone can predict that is also detrimental that no one does anything about. Man. Yeah. So, like, the big example that the author talks about is, like, the 2008 crisis, the mm. economic collapse. But there's so many others. Could you, could you, couldn't we relate that to EMS as being, like, suicide in EMS? Oh, there's a lot. Suicide so, in, in this program, great we, rhino? yeah, we have to, we're doing, like, this change initiative thing. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I guess I can say, let's do the, Naval Postgraduate School, uh, they have a uh, emerging emergence program. Amazing. Uh, like I said, I would encourage, I mean, so far it's been an amazing program. Um, actually, the podcast was one of my things that, like, I showed the, you know, like, you have to show them part of the application process is something that you've created. Sure. So, like, this was, like, one of the things I showed. But um, it's been a tremendous experience so far. Um, but it's a lot about, like, decision-making, leadership, stuff like that. So, right. um but yeah, the the the, the book is uh, about those obvious things that, and I mean, I would argue that suicide and stuff isn't something that people haven't done anything about. I think there's been a lot done. I just think there should be more done. But how long did it take? Yeah, I mean, so you, we, I, I I think I think there should be uh, a conversation about what systemic failures occurred that still are. Mm-hmm what parameters still exist that cause those systemic failures to occur. Hmm. Hmm. Cause I think that's definitely a good, a good conversation. Yeah. For, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. We don't next week. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're doing another, I guess we could. three hour podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can come over next time. I, yeah, I'll host. I'll host. We'll go down to the basement. Okay. That's cool. What's for dinner? I don't eat pork. I'm just putting that out there. There goes the smoke pulled pork sandwiches. Yeah. No pig. Ah, uh, oh, chicken. 
Okay. I smoke. Yeah, it's cold though. I'm a fair weather smoker. You do, you bro. Apparently, you can't make a brisket. So, <laughs> man, uh, they're terrible. They are the grayest, toughest, but they're cooked to temperature. I just cook them way too fast. Then don't cook them fast. <laughs> sous vide it. <laughs> sous vide. Yeah. Hey, it's well, been a pleasure. They're this supposed to take 14 hours, like this podcast episode. And you cook them in how long? Uh, so you're like, just not patient. Like and then six. You, and then you ruin it. Well, I just I thought that if you just cook the temperature, that it's good to go. And they're like, uh, no, that's not how it works. We should at all. get some of your Texan friends on here by going down to Texas. Yes, that would be kind of fun. They can't smoke briskets either, though. I, no, I don't care about that. There's places we can go to for that. Hundred percent. Oh, we can do the podcast there. Uh yeah, sure. Boom. Well, we are portable if they allow us. Boom. That'd be cool. It's been a pleasure, buddy. Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me on. I didn't. I mean, we had an idea how this was going to go, but I didn't see it going two and a half hours, and we touched a lot. A lot. A lot. It's cool. It's fun. We got some cats on here. Yeah. Maybe it's like a the menu. Like, folks will tell us what they want more of, or tell you what they want more of. Excuse me. No, tell us. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I usually have an end spiel to this. Um, yeah, like us on our Facebook page. I'm probably going to shut down the website. Haven't really been using that. Probably going to shut down the website. We're probably going to be doing more of a publication as uh, as um, interested, like you know, not interested, but like as topics come up, as I you know, as we get time. Uh, we really do like the project, though. It's a pretty solid project still, and I I, I do intend on doing the podcast as much as I can. Um, give us a like on Facebook. Let us know how you like this. Um, uh, I know it's kind of long, kind of. Sorry for the explicit rating from the. I guess I should probably should preface. I we probably knew that this was going to be explicit. Everybody that knows me knows that it. I come yeah. with the E rating. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll we'll do something again soon. Absolutely, man. And uh, that's all for now, folks.